Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 870 with Chef Peter Hilsum and Monica Davidson. This is not a business to get into lightly. This is something that you have to have a great deal of passion for because, believe me, things will happen where you will need that passion to remotivate you and get you up off your butt and back into it. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Chow Now, a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers. Over 20,000 restaurants trust Chow Now for their online ordering, and this is because Chow Now helps their restaurants keep their profits, own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. With Chow Now, take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site, and there are no setup fees or monthly payments. And what I really love about Chow Now is that you get to own your customer data. This is something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And when you schedule a demo, don't forget to ask about leveling up with Chow Now Direct, Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up today at chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and Talk to the Manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that Talk to the Manager provides. Also, with Talk to the Manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. 
What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast does need your support. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors, by using our affiliate links, by sharing this podcast, and by joining Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Today, we have a great show for you. We're talking to Chef Pierre, a.k.a. Peter Hilsum and Monica Davidson. And these two folks were put on my radar by way of the Blue Oak Boys, Phil and Ronnie. Thank you guys so much for uh, this introduction. They were amazing guests, Monica and Peter. Uh, And the story goes like this. Basically, uh, Peter grew up in a restaurant family. Uh, His father was the executive director of the Louisiana Restaurant Association. He went to school at LSU where he studied business and eventually found himself himself out in uh, California, San Francisco, working in hotels and in fancy restaurants and managing these operations. And uh, he also would do private dinner parties. And that's where he met Monica Davidson, his future business partner and wife. Uh, together, they came up with the idea of Cajun Kettle Foods. And for Pierre, he just really, the traditional restaurant setting was not for him. And one of the things I loved about today's episode is that it shows you that there's numeral or numeral, numerous paths for hospitality professionals, especially chefs. Uh, you don't need to go run a kitchen, a traditional restaurant kitchen. You can be an experimental chef. You can be a high end or what we call in today's episode of what, what Chef Pierre's official title is, is a research chef where you basically can come up with new inventions for food or just new ways to execute food on scale. It's like a scientist mashed up with being a chef. It's a, a really interesting, uh, vertical if that's for you if you're you know an attention to detail researcher kind of person this could be a path for you so um it gives us a an alternative path within the, the restaurant industry and also i think it's really important that chefs start looking at what the the value they have the the skill sets you guys have like you have intellectual property you're building things and doing things no one else can do and i think it's important for you to recognize that intellectual property and i, I try to get into that in today's episode uh, and it comes out but uh just awesome stuff and then monica joined us today too and I, that was a, a bonus i didn't know that we're going to be able to get both peter and monica on the mic monica uh has an executive history with with Macy's where her focus is marketing and PR and she's killing it. So we get some of that perspective as well. All right. With no further ado, here they are Peter Hilsum and Monica Davidson with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guests, co-founders of Cajun kettle foods, chef Pierre Hilsum and Monica Davidson, chef Monica, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, always. Yes. Yes. I cannot yes. wait to get into your story. But before we dive into who you are and how you got here, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, in this business, if you don't love it, you will live it. Learn to love it. If you don't love it, you will live it. Learn to love it. Do you have another one or do you want to get behind that one? I think most people underestimate the power of great food. And that was actually told to us by Paul Prudhomme. Ooh, I just fell in love with that guy a couple of days ago after talking to Frank. Yeah. Uh, he was an amazing man. I wish I could have met him. Yes. Um, so dive in real quick with why that resonates with you. Well, he uh, he did. He followed his heart and and did restaurants all over the country. Um, and he had people lining up around the block 
to have his food here and everywhere he went. And uh, we have people lining up to eat our food at the Jazz and Heritage Festival. And sometimes we see 120 people in line. And, and, and that just speaks to, to that, that concept that, that power, the power of great food. Is yeah. really it, it's such, unstoppable. It is. I mean, I really do think that the food has the power to change the world, and that's one of the things I'm yes. trying to do is to let our industry know that we can change the world. Um, we won't get into that now, but I 100% can get behind what you're sharing. Right. And, and Chef, back to your quote. Why did you choose that quote? This business is uh, television. It's a little soft on uh, yeah. the reality. Yeah. You work a lot of hours. Yeah. Why don't and, you share the quote one more time, just in case the folks can't remember what, what it was? You remember? Right. If you don't love this business, you will live it. Learn to love it. Mm. You know, pick up your train of thought for me. <laughs> so, I mean, this is not a business to get into lightly. Mm-hmm. This is something that you have to have a great deal of passion for because, believe me, things will happen where you will need that passion to remotivate you and get you up off your butt and back into it. Uh, the television kind of portrays it as a very romantic, lovely thing. And there is that. Yeah. But not 24-7. You're up at three o'clock in the morning going to a market or you're filling in for an employee who didn't show up and didn't let you. They weren't going to show up or Mm -hmm. any of the myriad of things that can go wrong all day, every day in any level of operation. Yeah. So I I always like to echo the the mission statement here to inspire, empower and transform the industry. But I feel like there's a secondary mission and that is to talk people out of getting into this industry. Uh, And if I can do that, I feel like I'm I'm doing the industry a service. (laughs) I had sitting in my office, Stephen Stills and a friend of ours who used to be his road manager, and they had decided to get into the restaurant business, and they had purchased a property right by the House of Blues, and they were going to call the restaurant Two Can Do, and I looked at these guys and said, now, which one of you is the one with all the restaurant experience? And Stephen only ate in them. He says, well, I eat in them a lot. It's great. And my friend... Dan, uh, who had done a number of things in his life, had never done anything but eat in them also. I said, guys, you sure you want to do this? And I tried for an hour and a half to talk them out of it. And I looked at, at, at Stills and said, Stephen, you will lose between a million and $3 million in this project within the first year, period. There's no way it's going to not happen. He looked at me, no, no, no. Ma, I've, I've even got sites located in Maui and one in the Keys and, and one in Spokane. And I'm going, great, you can market a lot really well having them so close together. Uh, the restaurant collapsed after 120 days, five lawsuits, two federal, uh, three arrests. It was a pretty uh, messy breakup, and it cost him $2.6 million. Oh, man, you were about a million short. <laughs> I know. I was, being, I was being easy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I try to. The first thing I do to you if you tell me you want an open restaurant is try to talk you out of it. Oh, uh, yeah, I love it. Absolutely. So, where does it make sense to start sharing your stories? I know for you, Pierre, that your dad was in this industry. Um, when did you guys cross paths? Because you came back to New Orleans in 1981. But when did you, when did you guys find each other? Well, in the late 70s. Late 70s. In San Francisco. Okay. I was. How old were you in 81, if you don't mind me dating you? Uh, 20. What, how old was I then? Uh, 24, 25. I think so. Around yeah, that age. Like so that. you guys found each other young. You, you were a teenager. Yeah, you know, I, no, I was actually, a child. I was oh. a young child. Yeah, she was, she was I very was young. a teenager. Like for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, so did you guys, so you, did you know you're going to be in the industry? Your dad was in the industry. Like 
get into that. We'll we'll divide and we'll come together when you guys meet each other in real life. How's yeah. that sound? I, I put myself through college in a hotel called the Poncher Train in New Orleans, and we had a world-class dining room called the Caribbean Room, and it was a great hotel. It was small, 103 rooms, beautiful suites, uh, uh, an A-list of clients. Uh, it was just a really gracious, wonderful hotel. And uh, then moved after I got out of college here. I needed a change of, of venue. So I decided I, I had three job offers. And one was, was for the Peninsula in Hong Kong. And one was for a, a hotel in Switzerland, which scared me to death. And the third one was for the, a hotel in San Francisco called The Clift. Okay. And I chose the Clift and walked in the door and they said, you're the guy from New Orleans. I said, yeah. And they said, well, we sold the hotel yesterday. Uh, you don't have a job. So you go all the way out there. Right. And they didn't even think to call you to no, let you know. That would have been too easy. Man. So wait, I think you might've mentioned it, but I'm, I might've missed it. I know you went to Louisiana. Uh, wait, LSU, New LSU. Orleans. Yeah. Um, what did you focus? What was your, your business? Uh, at that point, there was no hospitality industry classes whatsoever here they now have a fabulous really really good uh restaurant and and hospitality industry division and put out great hotel gms and things that happened part of the time i was here i was a front office manager at the punch train okay and we we helped establish that curriculum at at lsuno okay i just missed it but you knew you wanted to do the hospitality industry yeah, my father had run the Louisiana Restaurant Association when I was a child. Okay, and that got me interested in restaurants. It 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 would. He didn't try to talk me. you out of it like my parents did. No, <laughs> he, he he didn't. Uh, and when I got really deep into it, he had passed away, so oh, okay. uh, he wasn't there to, to to try to correct my uh, <laughs> desires, uh, my ways. <laughs> yeah. What can I say? Uh, so, okay, that's a good stopping point for you. And at this point, you're still really young, right? Because there's there's a little bit of an age gap between the two mm-hmm. of you, right? So where are you from? Um, well, I was born in South America in Chile. Okay. Um, my father was from the Bay area and my mother was Chilean and, um, he went, um, dad went down to, uh, South America to work as a controller for, uh, American copper company. And they got, they met and got married and all my, sisters and I were all born there and then then we went uh all around the world we went lived in the Caribbean Central America and North Africa wow before coming really coming to the states so I came to the states when I was very young and uh but had already lived in a lot of other places and picked up a couple of languages and uh yeah, like and, three languages you speak. I think it was German, French, and there's another or four, I guess. If three and a half, three and a half. Yeah. So what, what, English, obviously, <laughs> and what's the the half that I'm missing? The half is German. Oh, I so, took it. I took it in in high school, and my mother's family was uh, German originally from the 1700s. That's but, so impressive. I wish I could do uh, people who can speak multiple. I just have no idea. Like that's such a a skill that I I envy. So. It's it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful window into another culture, and in a way that that nothing else really comes close to. When you can speak another language, it really gives you a a, a wonderful window into into a different world. So was it Spanish, French, uh, and half of German and English? Yes, and yeah. then my and then our daughter speaks Portuguese. My sister speaks Norwegian. My other sister speaks Italian and German. 
So there are a lot of languages in my family. I mean, just especially being able to speak English and Spanish, you can go to so many places in the world and just mm-hmm. be able to like make your. That, that's such a. I'm I'm jealous. <laughs> I have to say. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So um, so when you came to the states, were you in California? Yes, we came to California. Eventually, we came. Um, uh, we drove cross country, came to California, and then I went to junior high and high school in the San Francisco area. And um, in Marin, north of San Francisco, okay, and um, ended up at Berkeley majoring in linguistics. Okay, and did you find yourself working in the hospitality industry? I was not. I was working um, in uh, the job placement business, and I was at Macy's California in their executive training program. Okay, and um, had some buying experience from from uh, from that where they bought for 25 stores in California. So at what point do you two cross paths? <laughs> well, I was when I was working at Macy's, one of my coworkers invited me over for dinner. And guess who was the chef? Oh, I can, I, I can have a couple of guesses. Maybe <laughs> Chef Pierre? Yeah, we, we, I lived in a big house on Broadway in Fillmore in San Francisco. And, I mean, this thing was huge. It was four and a half stories. Yeah. And wow. we, we had an incredible deal on it. It would cost me 210 bucks a month to live in San Francisco Can't do that today. <laughs> <laughs> How about $210 uh, a day? No, okay. Yeah. 10, and right? that's your rent. Yeah, that's crazy. And, uh, my, one of my roommates was her family was IRS records. Her little brother was the drummer for the police, Stewie Copeland. And so we got hooked into the music scene in San Francisco pretty heavily. And so we get to go see everybody who was touring through and go to Winterland or play. We could, go see a lot of music and stuff. And that was fun. And once a week, we had Wednesday nights, we had bring people over, and I would make something. Okay. Yeah, just get so, them going. So my mind works chronologically. I swear yeah. I'm not trying to date you. What's the year now when we, because I know you guys came here in 75. 75. Okay. I, moved, I got there in 75. So about six years before coming back. Yeah. To, so you got there in 70, you got to California in 75. 75 and that we left in, in uh, late 81. Okay. So, we kind of skipped over because I wanted to make sure we got both come up stories or, you know, yeah. how, how the little bit of the backstory for each of you. Um, you. You left off by saying that you came out to San Francisco and when you landed, your job was gone. Right. But you found a job eventually. So well, what happened from there? Down the street from where I landed to, to stay was a car dealership. And I said, well, I got, I got to eat. I can't call mommy. So yeah. I uh, walked in and got a job selling cars. And it was funny because... We were a Pontiac dealership, and Pontiac was allowed to duel with Honda and because Pontiac was, was falling through the floor in sales. So uh, we became a Honda store, and we were one of the first in the Bay Area, and we had a Honda, which was you could put in your trunk of your I, – I could put it in the back of my Yukon, okay? It was tiny. Uh, but then we also got the Honda Accord, and – that dealership zoomed. It was five grand to buy the franchise from Honda, including parts and signs. It was a steal of a lifetime. So I thought when you first said um, the dealership, what kind of dealership it was, I thought you said a Ponzi act dealership. I was like, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) It was was an interesting lesson I was taught. Yeah, you started telling some stories before we Go from being the hotel industry and how you treat people to being in a car dealership and how you treat people 
is a 180. Right. And I will say right. this about I will say this about the uh, car dealership industry. It has done a big 180. Speaking of 180s, so it's it's all about <laughs> taking care of your guests now, and that re- that brings return. And that that's a lesson for the restaurant industry. Yeah. Right. It's it's all about the return visits. Right. Uh, yeah. it's five ten years down the road after selling that car, they come back for the next one if you take care of them the first time, and that that lesson applies in this industry too. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's it's true. Plus that, plus a lot of federal legislation. Mm kind of uh, took away a lot of the, the kind of nefarious tools that some of them had. And uh, the attitude changed. I mean, it was it was no longer this kind of uh, legal way to steal to where you were selling a, a merchandise that had a sticker on it because there didn't used to be price stickers on cars. So you would walk up and that car was five grand and somebody walk up, other would walk up and say, no, it's not. And they had no way of knowing. So yeah. that was Monroney stickers. You didn't have the you didn't have the internet to to do the research too, and that's really kind of when yeah. the the dealership industry well, started to turn around when yeah. you couldn't pull fast ones as easily. Yeah. When I can pull an invoice up and yeah. see what that dealership paid for that car, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the the the, the secret was out. Mm-hmm. And then you have online abilities to get used car pricing. I mean, information information exactly. led the way. It's power, and then and the power of it, power. and the fact that you know. Uh-uh. And then people and, started realizing they were being treated very badly, and they yeah. they, they fought back. And Go more ahead, women, I think, more women have, have become car buyers and have been start, started working at car dealerships. That's that's what I look for when I go to a car dealership. Why is that? Because I think women um, kind of look out for the customer a little bit better. They uh, the the customer service aspect of things are, you know, and especially when you're dealing with another woman i think you understand what some of their objections might be and some of the some of the the, the things that they don't like about the a little industry more compassionate maybe a little more sympathetic right yeah exactly yeah i can't argue with that maybe i don't know what are you, what, are, what are your thoughts no <laughs> i doesn't agree i'm sure <laughs> i it, it i didn't stay in the industry that long i mean i ended up uh with a team that was running seven dealerships and I just was burned out by the whole uh, attitude and the the pressure that was on you uh, to do things that you didn't agree to, didn't didn't feel very comfortable about doing. That was my follow-up question. What was it like to come up in a a world of hospitality with your your dad and and the the experiences I'm sure you had? And uh, what was that like? Well, there was two sides to it. One, I never made more money. I had never made as much money as I was making running dealerships. I mean- I quite honestly, I had months in San Francisco where I was making seven to eight thousand dollars. Yeah, there was no shortage in the seventies. That was a lot of yeah, money. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, a lot of money, and you had a car, and you had, yeah. It was. It was. If you were willing to do it, you could do very, very, very well. Yeah. And I just got tired of the the the, the run around, and I missed the food. I missed that 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 environment and so forth. So I I got out of there and. Uh, went to work for a group that owned a hotel and uh, owned a group of restaurants called What This Country Needs. And I, I started working for them. Okay. Back into the business. Let's bookmark that. And I'm curious, working for a company like Macy's, that's a well-oiled machine company. Am I, is it safe to say that? I'm sure you picked yeah. up some some good lessons, life lessons working for an organization that organized. I did, but I, I guess I shared Pete's uh, frustration at working for a great big company where nobody knows who you are, mm. and you're kind of just a small part of a bigger machine, and 
um, I ended up leaving there to work with somebody who came to call on our department because he was starting his own, uh, his own business. And, uh, he was doing a bunch of real exciting things like looking at, at new furniture and new paints and, and doing marbling and, and, and kind of, he had a passion for doing things that were, that were different. And, and I ended up leaving Macy's to work with him and um it was a good move for me yeah um so w- before we talk about the movie made and w- what the, the skills you were picking up during this time what were the skills that you think you really kind of set you up for success working at Macy's to this day if any um well it really taught me that that um everything everything is seasonal when it comes to sales and clothing and that 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 also applies to the food business because uh when things get cold i mean here summers are incredibly hot and so soups don't sell well here during Mm, the summer which is obvious yeah but i mean the the kind of the the cycle of of business and how different things do better in different types of seasons and things like that um kind of looking at also looking at the bottom line there are so many intangibles that go into play when you're talking about buying buying clothes or buying hardware. I mean, everything is slightly different. And then, um, I, I decided that as a result of being at Macy's and things like that, that I, I really needed to go back to school and, and get my MBA and Mm -hmm. and start working, start looking at, uh, classes in, in the business world, like accounting and finance and business law and things like that. So, so what I would like to focus on, you guys kind of brainstorm, uh, were there any key mentors for either of you uh, during this come up? I don't know, maybe before or after you guys met. Uh, when, you, when you met, how long did it take for you guys to start kind of like getting closer and kind of, I don't know, were you working together at any point? Like, I, I'm not too sure about the dynamic of your relationship before 81, I guess. No, we were just dating. I mean, she had her, her job and her life with, with Macy's. And at this point, I had moved over to work for the Rossi family and uh, had gone to work for their, their hotel, uh, helping them design. They, they, they took over a place called the Barrett Motor Hotel, which was a block off Union Square, and they turned it into a hotel, Donatello's, that, uh, let's put it this way, they spent $400 a square foot on the decor package for their, their fine dining room. And, and this, this is 1980s. This is 1970s. 78. So what's the inflation rate with that? What's the equivalent to? Like 1200? Oh, I, I can't even guess. This, this place, this place the, the fixed price meal, and this is 79, was right at 100 to $120 wow. a head. And they got it. They were full every night. That was probably a very extravagant meal. It was an extravagant thing. They were just big time Italian, northern Italian food. And uh, I, I, they convinced me that one of the brothers that owned it had this group of, of soup salad, very much like Panera-type operations, uh, that, that weren't doing very well. And he convinced me to go take those over and fix them. And is this all with the, the Rossi family? Yeah. Okay, this, so talk to me about the Rossi family. Would you say this is kind of where you grew the, grew the most as a professional? Yeah, it's where I, I, I switched over. And, and started expanding my skill base. And you know, instead of, uh, uh, I mean, I, I line cooked in that restaurant, which was, was 
you know, it's a very interesting experience. So my, my real deal is con- is creating products and, and doing stuff. So that's where I am now. But back then, I mean, basically a line cook, I, I knew that, that that part of culinary world wasn't for me. I mean, uh, I'm driving across the Golden Gate Bridge from Marin County into San Francisco. It's beautiful. The birds are flying. It's one of those picture-perfect days, right? I've done that drive. It is gorgeous. Drive. It is It yeah. is gorgeous. And it's 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, okay? And I'm dead. I should have been on there at 5 o'clock. I'm an hour late. Oh, my goodness. Which means I'm going to go get my butt kicked. How many pans did he dodge that morning? Oh, God. (laughs) It was was like, no, there was only me and one other person in that kitchen feeding at that time. Wow. And it was a nightmare. I mean, it was one of these days just like, you know, God help us. How vivid do you remember the day? Oh, I, I, the, the, they brought a case of eggs down, okay? And I'm trying to do a poached egg. The whites would just liquefy and disappear. And there'd be a yolk floating around in there. And I'm going, what the? Yeah. Dump the water, re-vinegar it, bring a fresh case of eggs down. Same thing. What was that, happening? The, 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 the eggs were old. Uh, I thought that might have been. And they were old from the delivery because the delivery had been made the day before. Okay. And I finally went through the third case. They started working. But it's just one of those days. <laughs> in breakfast and in timing like that, if you miss, the timing doesn't work. It is You're progressively deeper in the hole because orders are backing up here. You've missed your sequence because everything is sequence cooking then. You've got four things going at once and you're, you're booming things out like this. Yeah. Right? Tables don't want to get one person at a time, all right? And this just, you, you just, your brain explodes. Oh, man. It gives me anxiety just thinking about it right now, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but I, it, was, it was a bad day. But it, everybody has that, and, and that's part of the industry. That's yeah. part of, of your day in the restaurant. I mean, the if the, the meal was $120 ahead I'm, I, for, for dinner, I don't know what breakfast, but I'm, this, I'm this assuming. Was, this was in their smaller dining room. But same clientele? Same clientele. They don't like food not coming out on time. Uh, yeah. no. <laughs> no. And they don't understand. There, There is no understanding yeah. of why it can't. Yeah. Okay? So where, where I'm going with this is what – it sounds like the Rossi family was a very successful family, business family. Yeah, they, they, they were some interesting folks, yes. So did they – was it a positive influence as far as – did they help form and maybe give you some values or, or knowledge, skill set? Like, How did they help influence in – Make you into the man you became. They and their manager was sink or swim. They dumped. They said, "Okay, here, take over these restaurants. Go fix them. Bye." So maybe that's see not me the next best week. Advice, I guess. <laughs> see me next week. Okay? They'll call so me. So you learn maybe you. what not to do. I guess is that. Yeah, is that they fair said to say? we've got problems. There's, money's not falling to the bottom line. Why? And they had problems. They had they had uh, money shrinkage problems that were pretty interesting. They had supply side problems that were pretty interesting. Uh, I feel like you're being suggestive. And well, I mean, all right. They, they, there was a GM who was cashing in all the receipts he could find. Okay. There were vendors who were were working with him and 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 kind of overcharging. But why do you think this is? Because nobody was watching. Well, also, what kind of what kind of uh, loyalty are you going to get in that type of environment where your employees don't feel like you have their back? Well, and was that a stretch? Yeah, it was a real stretch. And the people who were working for me just kind of closed their eyes just because they needed the jobs. Okay. And so, you know, it was, it was, it, it, I had to get rid of some people. And as soon as I did, it turned, things all of a sudden started turning around. And, and, and we were doing, I mean, we were soup, salad, sandwiches, bowl of soup was two ninety eight with a piece of French bread. 
And these were marvelous soups. I mean, this was good, good quality food. We had great oh, desserts. We were the largest consumer of espresso coffee in San Francisco County. Yeah. And you were here yeah. for about six years? Yeah. Uh, what What were like the key evolutionary points for you as far as a professional? Well, that was going back in and running the restaurant and, and dealing with the food, uh, looking at, at how we could get this place turned around and, and do the right things. Uh, it was all it was front of house management. So did you turn it around? Yeah. How? Fired fired the guys who were stealing the dough. A B sat down with the the people who were overcharging and said you have two choices. You know either I can rat you out to the Rossies, uh, and you don't want you didn't want them mad at you. Okay, yeah, that wasn't a good idea. Uh, or you know you will come back down to earth and we'll have a straight relationship. Okay, and if you don't want any money. I said no, no, that's what we're going to stop, and you know. It stopped. Yeah. And uh, the ones that didn't stop no longer got orders from us. So it distilled the lesson here. You know, it's, well, if you don't run it straight, if it's, if it's crooked at top, it's rotten at the bottom. Yeah. It don't work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once people are seeing you doing things right and you're treating people fairly and, and you know, it, it's not a, a favoritism contest, uh, it, it things do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean it's it's come it's a it's an issue with culture. It sounds like right, yeah. and the culture yeah. is reality. Culture is perception is reality. What you perceive, how, what's going on, like that's yeah. that's the reality of your business. And, and the only thing you can do is force it to change yeah. and and to, to to get the people out that are bringing it down. Right, you you can't have you can't expect to keep people on staff that aren't mark that aren't walk, walking the walk. Right, right. you you they, they right. either fit or they don't fit. And if they don't fit. You're out of here. Is kind of well, what I'm hearing. You give them, you give them a chance, mm-hmm. and say, so, you know, this this is how this place is going to work now. It's not the way it used to work. It's the way it works now. And you know, if if doesn't don't work that way for you, if that isn't something you can do, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll make some changes and I'll write you a letter. You know? Why is it important to give them a chance? Because some you don't want to throw away, you know, the baby with the, the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Because you have people because they've been shown that 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 model was okay. Even though they didn't think it was okay, they kind of, you know, they're people. Come on. Maybe they were hired during, maybe they came in, the culture was like that. Yeah. And they saw other people doing it, and they said, this is normal. Yeah. Right? right. So you give you give them a chance. The people who continue to do it, you don't get a second chance. Right. 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 And yeah. a lot of these kids, a lot of the people who worked for me were were not you know, American citizens or were not, uh, they, they were people who'd come and move to America may have been first generation and stuff. And, and I mean, you know, this was in some of the cases, the first job they'd had mm-hmm. in America. Mm-hmm. And you know, if this is what, Oh, okay, this is how the rules are. You know, you adopt that. And I think that right there is the key to why the restaurant industry has so much power or the hospitality industry has so much power to change the world is for so many people. This is the first oh. job they've had. Okay. And you kind of set the standard and you get to really kind of influence and I don't know, like be the first impression for people. So if we can be an incredible first impression for people, what yeah. kind of power is that to go into the future? What are your thoughts? Oh, it's great. I mean, that, 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 you know, uh, you don't, want to replicate what's wrong you want to replicate what's right mm-hmm. and you know the more that the more that's right the more right it gets mm-hmm. so yeah it, it, it's and that's such a vulnerable 
position that a lot of these people are in because mm-hmm. they got to have the dough or else the kids are gonna, not, not going to eat. Yeah. And Monica, I haven't forgotten about you. No, no. Uh, so coming back over, uh, just like uh, Chef Pierre did, what was going on with you? How are you growing? What were the lessons you were learning? You had a new mentor, a new business uh, opportunity. Did things change or did things improve for you as far as your happiness and your professionalism, I guess? Well, I mean, what, what, I, what I sort of um, – didn't mention it was that um, that my dad was also uh, a big influence on on me Get as into well. It. Um, my dad um, was a, uh, a a kid who grew up um, lost his father at eleven. Grew up in Oakland, California. Uh, had an older brother who helped guide him to uh, to succeed in in school. Uh, he went to Berkeley and then got into Harvard. He had no money. He got uh, he got into Harvard um, without having a car and living in California. How so, do you do that? <laughs> so what he did was he took uh, the train and he hitchhiked between California and Boston, and then he worked in the uh, cafeteria at school. And um, the uh, that's always the story that I've that I found very inspiring because he found a way to make it to make things work for him and to to get what he needed to get. With, with with no resources mm. and and the other the other part of that was that I think that he he felt um, that he needed to show the world or his family or himself that he he could do it you know that he could achieve it without was without. there a doubt well I mean isn't there always yeah. you know when, when you're a kid and and uh, you've got no dad and your mom is far away and your your brother his brother graduated from Harvard too, but, but anyway, so he, uh, yeah, it was that determination when he, he showed me that he used to have, um, a little straw, a little straw, uh, suitcase and a bowler hat. And he, 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 he wore a fresh, freshly pressed somehow white shirt every day with a bowler hat. And my dad was a blonde, blue eyed, Anyway, so so he'd get rides, or you know he'd ride the train, and um, and then after he did that, he he ended up working for American companies all over the world. But when he got back, and and one thing he he never really liked was uh, working for others. He he was very self self motivated, and you know went everywhere. I mean, when we went, we lived in Morocco, and we went to to Europe every summer. And and we went everywhere in Europe. I mean, we went. I mean, everywhere you could mention. We we went across the Strait of Gibraltar nine miles across, wow. and then drove everywhere. And uh, and you know, we went to every single museum there ever. I got lost in every single museum that ever existed. <laughs> I learned how to ski in Lake Como. I you know, and he, we were on American salary. It wasn't that we were so wealthy, but in comparison, I yeah. guess in those days. So anyway. Um, that was my education. Uh, I I just I got uh, I I got a feel for you know what the rest of the world was like and and just, eating food all over the world. Just and, still one or two of the biggest lessons your dad taught you. One clear thing is just you know motivation, dedication, commitment, persistence. But what else? Uh, a work ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, he said, "Look, you know, there are things that are going to." tie you down in life that are going to be obstacles and but you don't have really there is no excuse for your doing your job and, it, and no matter what happens no matter what gets in your way you need to get it done 
and, and no excuses. You just you just have to do it. And um, he uh, he had an incredible drive drive to succeed. I love it. Beautiful yeah. stuff. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. I'm happy sure. we got into it. Um, so let's take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of talk about how you guys made this transition out of san francisco and back to new orleans or for you to new orleans for maybe the first time for the first time yeah Yeah. okay we'll be right back today's episode is brought to you by chow now a commission-free online ordering system and food ordering app helping restaurants feed their hungry customers over twenty thousand restaurants trust chow now for their online ordering this is because chow now helps restaurants keep their profits own their online experience, meet their customers everywhere, and make every diner a regular. Here's how it works. Chow Now clients get listed on the free Chow Now marketplace. Once they're there, they can meet new customers and take unlimited commission-free orders through Chow Now's app and site. There is no setup fee or monthly payment. Now, this is what I really love about Chow Now. You get access to valuable customer data, which allows you to personalize the experience and the relationship with your guest. In other words, you own the relationship with your guests, something not all third-party ordering apps can claim. And we cannot wrap up this message without telling you about how to level up with Chow Now Direct. Chow Now Direct is Chow Now's comprehensive online ordering and marketing package. With Chow Now Direct, you get your own branded ordering app for iPhone or Android, email and print marketing, plus POS integration, and much more. Because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you can enjoy 30% off the Chow Now Direct annual plan. Sign up at www.chownow.com slash unstoppable. That's chownow.com dot com slash unstoppable so we're back and we just got to the point of your career you guys kind of give us a good backstory of who you are and how you kind of got to this point and we're at now in your storyline around the time where you guys crossed paths for the first time we knew it was a dinner party you were the chef mm-hmm. uh do is there anything up to this point in your storylines that need to come out before we go forward i don't want to mi- make sure we miss anything no it's your you're you're looking for motivations, motivation and, lessons, uh, turning points, evolutions. Yeah, you know, I I had left the Pontchartrain thinking I was definitely on line to do hotel management. Uh, I, I was asked to go to to, to New York to you know the Ezra Cornell School of Hotel Administration uh, for graduate studies, and I I just you know realized I looked at the GM at the Pontchartrain and this this guy was a graduate he was smart he worked six and a half days a week he was up to about three packs of palm oils a day mm. his tension you, you you could cut you know the stress on him was amazing and you know 24-hour operations are really difficult right and I just looked at that and I said you know I don't think that's really what I want to do in life. I was waiting for that to come out of the store. I yeah. knew it was a matter of time. And I think that yeah. one of the reasons why I'm really excited to make an example of the both of you is because the, the hospitality, the food and beverage industry has so many oh. verticals of opportunity. And I oh, think yeah. when people get into it, a lot of people don't realize that the, the amount of paths you can take. Oh, right. Well. And it, especially if you're somebody who's a more on the creative side and you like the creative element in, in creating things, but not maybe necessarily, all the stress that comes with running a restaurant, oh. right? 
what's going through your mind is I don't want to make too many assumptions. So what's going through your mind? Am I, am I on track? Well, I, you know, I, I realized that, that I didn't want to only work. I wanted a family. I wanted to, to, you know, to have a little more than that in my life than, than, uh, I was seeing this poor guy have, cause he had little kids and yeah, I, I wondered when he saw him, quite frankly. I mean, it just was, it was an incredible load on him. And the hotel was successful. I mean, we 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 ran seventy five to eighty five percent occupancy, which is year round, which is very nice. And the restaurant was banging it out. I mean, it was very it was a great restaurant, and it was doing the dance. It 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 really worked quite well. So uh, anyway, I, I I that that's when I started wondering what the hell I wanted to do with myself. Yeah, and we don't have to get too far down the restaurant yeah. road because what's awesome about being able to speak to the two of you is because I don't get to talk to people who do what you do, which is yeah. invent products and market your products to yeah. restaurants and venues across the world. Yeah. And this is going to be a great lesson. If, if, we're, if we're somebody who loves the creative side of the restaurant industry and we want to create food and we, we are passionate about just food in general and, and, and creating that creative element, but we don't necessarily like the idea of being stuck in a line or making the same. I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think you're kind of picking up what I'm putting down. Um, yeah. What are some of the other options? And one of the other options is, is exactly what you do. So is it, today's going to be a lesson in how to do what you do. I want to, if yeah. we're, if we're listening to this, like I like that path, how, how does, what would you even define your business as? What do you do? Well, all right. I, I am a research chef. Okay. Okay. That that's my my qualification. Uh, and there is the research chefs of America. Uh, I mean, it, it is a a, a position now. It's it, it's very different from being a line chef, a line cook. It's a combination. It's called culinology. It's a combination of science and 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 culinary skills. And it's it's a you know it's a different approach to food, so it 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 attracted me because it it at home my father was always creating dishes, and my dad my dad had been a tail gunner on a B seventeen over Germany, okay he flew thirty seven missions and lived. Wow! When these by the time you crossed thirty missions, your survival rate was ten your chances of survival were ten percent. And he never, ever understood why he lived and didn't die. He was very guilty about that. I and mean, he would never talk about it. And, I mean, he, he just, that haunted him his entire life. And he had, uh, if he had known he could do R&D work, I think he would have been uh, a much happier person than he was. Even though he, he went ended up going back and getting a PhD. Unfortunately, he died right after he got his PhD and he goes to literature. That was, that was his, his passions were literature, music, and food. So, you know, it, it, it is a guy that finally went after the, the, the literature part of his passion. And, and that made him a lot happier human being because okay. he wasn't out before then. So you are a, a research chef. That's right. the category you would fall into. Right. And Cajun kettle foods would be considered what type of business? We're a food manufacturer or processor. Okay. All right. And the way that the path that we took into this was uh, when I was still in San Francisco working for the Rossies at What This Country Needs, we had one of the one of the, the outlets we had was adjoining the, the Hyatt Hotel on Union Square. And we were there 
uh, that's where we produced all of our soups because they had this huge boiler system and we had free steam. So we, we they had built-in kettles and stuff. And we had a gentleman named Mr. Ng who was this wonderful Vietnamese chef and he would cook soups at night. And in the mornings, you'd go in at about six thirty, seven o'clock and there would be five-gallon buckets lining the floor. And he would just leave them out to cool off, okay? Uh you don't do this, okay? It, how we survive without killing anybody, I don't know. But uh, we we were that's how we were producing. And uh, one day, a guy walked in, and he was a, a, a research chef, okay? And he worked for a company called Cryvac. And at that point in time, Cryvac owned another division of that company, owned 4,000 restaurants. They had a bunch of fast food restaurants all over the country, uh, and they were having problems with distribution. So they'd figured out that they could take the beef casings that they made that had clips on them and put liquids in them and chill them real fast, pack them over, over pasteurization, over pasteurization temperature, and chill them real fast. And you would get a shelf life, and you could distribute, you could get them up a month out of a bag of soup. So they could make first quality food pump it hot into these bags, chill them, and put them in a truck and get them to Daryl's and what else? Uh, El Torito, they owned that. They owned Daryl's. They owned a whole bunch of these chains all over, and they could ship that way. And that led Cryvac into being a fairly small company with real heavy plastics technology on things like gas pass through all the science of a boil bag and uh, of modern packaging to uh, uh, what we do at Cajun Kettle, which is use the same basic cap cold concept. And it's astounding what you can do. I mean, it, 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 uh, it makes commissary work and high-quality food into restaurants a possibility and a bigger and bigger possibility. Uh, we, 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 but that's and it's, what, prim- it's primarily because of the shelf life of being able to get it from one place to another without it and the quality you can get out of it and maintaining the quality. Yeah, it maintains the quality beautifully. So one thing I didn't ask and I had meant to ask, and yeah. I don't think we're too far away from that part of the conversation, is if somebody's interested in being a research chef, what are some of the clues that suggest you might be that might be a good path for you? What are the skill, special well, skills you need to be a research chef? You need first of all, you need a basic understanding of the science of food. Okay. Because it, it, if you don't understand how it works, uh, you may be able to come up with uh, a really great dish in a restaurant. You probably won't be able to replicate it. And then when you take it, if, if you're doing this for commercial use for like a restaurant group, uh, you might not be able to, to manufacture it exactly the same way you can do it with a pan and a gas burner and stuff because that, that – there's different things that happen in timing and temperatures and yeah. stuff that, that make it a different world. What about some of like the natural skills or, or natural abilities? All right, natural, be- one, you've got to be creative. Got it. Two, you have to have a science bent. You have, to, you have to be able to understand the science part. Three, you have to have some kind of mechanical aptitude okay. because you have to understand the mechanics of what's going to happen. Uh, it, it, it just, it, it's a, you know, it's, an amalgamation of things, a combination of things of, of, of things like that. So at what point do you think that maybe this is right for you? This is what you want to do. Well, I mean, if, if you've, you've been on a line, you love the food side, 
you're interested in the side of why why does it work this way and how do I make it work this way every time uh, and you're tired of the stress of line work uh, you can go a lot of guys that are my friends that are, are uh, exec chefs and, and so forth you get tired of all that management and stuff like that and you can move into this yeah and a good executive chef has a very good salary and I mean you work for the great food companies of America. Uh, there's all kinds of us out there. Yeah, I mean, is it safe to say as an executive chef, as an ex- executive chef, there's a, maybe a little bit lower of a ceiling that you hit versus there maybe being a much higher ceiling in this vertical because you're kind of limited because you have basically where I'm getting at is intellectual property. Right. Exactly. And and I th- I think people yeah and people don't realize you're if you're a creative if you're a creative person and you can create things that not mm-hmm. other people can't create, the sky's mm-hmm. the freaking limit. Exactly. And I think it's important to recognize if you're good at something, don't sell yourself short. Not to say there's anything wrong with being, there's only, I could never be a line cook. The skill sets you need to be able to manage and juggle that many things, I would it's not hard. last. I, I know I couldn't do it. So please don't interpret what I'm saying as that not being a respectful job. But if you are one of the few people that have a science brain and you're creative and you're mechanical, like all these things you're right. saying, and the, the, you don't necessarily want the wear and tear if that's not for you, the kitchen. This is a really great career path for you. So we don't get to learn from people who take this path, which is why I'm really excited to to talk to you. I still haven't forgotten about you, Mona, because I know you guys are in lanes. And so, um, yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm interested because you need both sides because it's not just creating the product. It's also promoting, selling, distributing. And I'm sure, and I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm kind of guessing Am I right? What are you, let me just ask you, what are your lanes? Where, where do you feel like, what's your responsibility? Um, well, when I first started, uh, Pierre, Pierre asked me to work, start working with him. I told him it was a terrible idea because we were <laughs> married and married people should never work together. Do you together. still feel that way? And, uh, <laughs> 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 but, but I will say that, that I considered it because I knew that Pete was, I mean, what Pete was doing at the time was doing things like going out with Paul Prudhomme at, and Paul would say, Hey, Pierre, meet me at 4am at such and such a place. And I thought, you know, if I don't work with him, I will never see him. So we might be divorced because we work together. Or we might be divorced because we don't. So, uh, so either way, uh, I knew that that somehow I had to try and uh, fit into um, what he was doing in 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 my own way, and and I had a lot of experience for, at Macy's and. Uh, and I was I was on the selling floor at Macy's actually for a little while before I went into the into the offices. I loved it. I loved the contact with people. I loved meeting new people. I loved um, just going around and and uh, and I I was really much more involved with the retail part. We started a retail line that had eleven items in it, and I went around and sold it to a bunch of stores. I went to 10 stores a day, five days a week. And I did, uh, in-store demos on weekends. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, I put the product into a bunch of uh, over 75 retail stores and it was doing pretty well. And I was having a lot of contact with customers. That's what I really loved. I really loved that I was able to go in and sell our product. And I felt like 
if you're not there, if you're not talking to people, if you're not looking out for what's going on with your products, then you're not going to do well. I mean, you're not going to succeed. Um, and Pierre, Pierre was involved in the Chefs Association and the Research Chefs Association. So he, he was very involved in that aspect of things. And then and working with Paul Prudhomme was just an amazing I, I experience for him. I am a new Paul Prudhomme like, fanboy. And I wish I could have uh, met him when he was still around to get him on the show just because of what Frank Bright, Brightson said about what this guy would do for his people. As far as just like from day one – even before you work for me, what do you want from your life and how can I make that happen? And then following through on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just amazing. He's, he, what were the lessons you got? You worked really, did you both work really close with mostly, Paul? mostly Pete. Okay. So what were the, the lessons? Did he teach you anything about oh, how God. to be, I, 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 we need to like cement this man's legacy Well, because he is, he just sounds like I, he was so incredible. And here's a guy who was 13th child. Okay. Wow. He was a big man. When I met Paul, he was five thirty five. Wow. Okay. And and that's a big guy. Was he tall? Uh, five nine, okay. five ten. Gotcha. No. So he was he was a, a big big fella and his ability just to to do things, to get it done. He went bankrupt three times. All right. His first joint was called uh Big Daddy-O's Patio. And uh he got married right around the time he opened it to his, his high school then sweetheart, and I think she was probably sixteen. And uh, it lasted maybe 90 days, and she flew the coop, and he said, to hell with it, and went off. But, I mean, he, he was just – he was very resilient, and he knew he could cook. I mean, this guy was magnificent. Wasn't classically trained. No. He, no, his he mama. taught yeah. And what, what is different about him is because he grew up in a rural environment where you learned how to do the best with what was available to you. Mm. It wasn't like he could import snails from France or – it was was using French wines to cook with and stuff. No, I mean he was taking uh, uh, basic ingredients you could either fish for or grow and turning them into magic. And he had the best sense of taste with his kind of food of anybody I've ever met. I mean he had just an incredible sense of of how you work spices and things, and that's what led him. I mean, uh, uh, he designed all of the magic seasoning, the base magic seasoning line, which was seven products. And he used to sell them out of the restaurant in little Ziploc bags that had about two ounces of product in them. And it, it, at that's, this point, Paul was my our first customer. When we went into business, Cajun Kettle was a pasta manufacturer. Mm-hmm. We made fresh pastas. And that goes back to me going to, to Cryvac Clark Bernier, who was the chef there, taught me about why shelf life, how you make shelf life, the science of what they were doing in bags. And I put that together with pasta, and we made a bagged, vacuum-packed, fresh product that had a 45-day refrigerated shelf life, which nobody had. I mean, we were one of the very first people in the country to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And you'd you'd take the bag, and you'd open it, and you'd kind of wiggle a little bit, and you'd separate the strands and cook it, right? And uh, Paul, I, I got this appointment with Paul, and I brought him some. And he, he got the look at this, all right, go cook it, bring it back to me. And from that point on, we were his pasta supplier. And Paul spent the next day, he said, come back tomorrow. All right? was this, so when you're working with him, was this the, 
after he had bank had gone bankrupt. Three oh, he'd gone bankrupt. Then he had been he got hooked up with the Brennan family okay. in Commander's Palace, and he was brilliant there. Okay. And he finally left Ella, who was an astounding human being and uh, the best talent spotter. I think I've ever heard of. Well, you you hear his process for finding talent. Oh, Paul's three interviews, three one hour long interviews, and it was it was amazing listening to Frank talk mm-hmm. about his experience going through that process. Mm-hmm. He'd come to a room, there was a room full of people. One hour interview, he'd leave. The next time he'd come back, same room, fewer people. One hour interview, third third time, a lot less people. Yes, one hour interview. And that's that's higher, slow, fire, fast mentality right there. Right. Like, and then even before they start, where do you want to be? What are your goals? How can I help you get there? That's just a, a hint of what you're explaining. That's powerful stuff. Well, Paul Paul was very much into the people who worked with him because mm-hmm. he had to put a lot of trust in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to teach them what he wanted them to do and show them his his style of cooking, like uh, uh, Aru. Okay, you, you you know you're supposed to cook it very slowly over fire. It takes forty five fifty minutes. Nah, let me show you how you do that. You get that oil so it's smoking hot. You dump that flour and you stir like crazy. You don't stop stirring like crazy until it's dark enough to go. And I can make a uh, a walnut colored roux in nine ten minutes. And you can make it in big quantities and it just stuff like that. Paul was. Just wonderful. And he loved to teach people how to do stuff. Mm-hmm. He gave away, you realize he gave away the formula magic seasonings. You, you, you can look it up online. He, he actually gave you the real formula, the real blends. Generosity was his MO. You could definitely oh. tell. But generosity, oh. the more you give, the more you get. And I think there is a lot of truth to that, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Paul was just Paul. Paul had this very magnetic attitude, aura about him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, Loved people, and it, it showed. I mean, he would sit in the back of the restaurant by the door, the kitchen door, and there was a window and a door. And he'd see everything that went out into the restaurant. And his problem was he would have a spoon, and he would taste it. Uh, and, I mean. That catches up over time. Uh, <laughs> <But> also, <laughs> it also maintains heavy weight. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was bad. And, and Paul went through a whole bunch of of different and difficult processes when in things he was doing i mean it wasn't all uh smooth sailing for him uh paul had had set up at one point in time had set up a uh uh, when he was writing the book okay he had set up a little side kitchen in what was in a driveway and he went to to sears and bought the cheapest gas range he could buy and the cheapest electric range he could buy he went to Woolworths or Walmart or someplace and bought the cheapest pots and pans he could. Now, he says, if they can cook this, you bring in women to cook and different non-professionals and say, okay, I want you to first cook it on this stove, then this stove. And that's how he proved all of his recipes for his first cookbook. Wow. I mean, they all work perfectly because of that. All right. While that was going on, upstairs, there was a kitchen. They were cooking. They were working for some party or something. And, and Paul was still walking. He was lumbering a bunch. He was a heavy guy, right? One of the guys had a, 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 a Bay Marie, that, uh, a Rondo rather, that was full of oil that he'd just taken off a stove that he'd fr- been frying in. Oh, man. And he put it on the floor. 
and Paul stepped back into it. Oh, no. All right? And Paul had severe burns on and fell. I mean, it was just it, it was the worst nightmare you can imagine a, I, in a kitchen accident. I can only, I'm just like, I'm oh, just visualizing. How visualize, you, 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 you hear that and your body immediately. And just to such a good and, man, and too, it just makes it he, that much. He got, said, get me help. Get me help now. He ended up, he had third degree burns on, on one of his feet. And for somebody that big, treating you is very difficult, yeah. very dicey. Yeah. They ended up setting him up in an RV out front of the restaurant. And he did the same damn thing in front of the restaurant, out of an RV, and he ran that restaurant yeah. all day, okay? I, I don't I, want to forget that this is a story about the two of you, but no, I'm I know. loving no, the no, no, Paul no. stories. Paul was great. Paul was got a lot of Paul stories, but he was he was a, a major influence on my life and on how how you get up and you do it again. Distill that influence. Yeah, just what get was, up. What was the just just get up? Get your ass up, out, get moving just again. Get, so show nothing's going to happen if you keep sitting there. Ain't nothing to it. Nothing to it, but and to do it. Let and it go. I, I think he was also very. Um, exacting about what he did and how he did food because Pierre was telling me about uh, stories about how he'd go and see Paul and Paul would have would do about eight iterations of the same dessert and and just change it slightly every single time and just looking for a a better the slightest edge the slightest yeah yeah Yeah. right Pete oh we did 23 iterations of a mocha cream cake one afternoon, twenty three. Wow. Okay, they had kitchen table. Three people upstairs baking. All right. Nope. Nope. Change this. Nope. Do that. Do this. Change this. All right. Now go back to the third one you showed me. Do it again, and bring me that one. Bring me this one. I mean, just just back and forth like that. End of the day, I, I just I, one. You <laughs> felt terrible because you had so much sugar in you. Yeah. You're just like. It sounds. It feels like me after like three or four interviews in one day that oh. everyone wants to feed you. You're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> By the first one, yeah. I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this was like how, and Paul would remember, you know, exactly what he liked about number three, and then there was number nine that did this, and this is how we're going to put this together and make it. That's why his food worked, mm-hmm. and uh, he was he was very willing to be wrong, okay, and change. And he was very willing to listen to somebody who said, Paul, I think if you try it this way, you'll get a better result. And he encouraged that in all of his staff. And he had some pretty crazy guys working for yeah. him, okay? They had this, they had a staff when, when we were doing pasta with them that was just bonkers nuts. I mean, they were they were in there. They were all humping. They were all chugging along in there. Uh, we brought Macy's in there, as a matter of fact. We were going to sell pasta fresca in Macy's in New York. And they're, they're downstairs in the... In that fancy food part, and uh, we bring the buyer in, and they're all like, one of the chefs, Randy, was looking out at me, and he's smiling, and I'm going, uh-oh. And so dinner comes, and you remember you sat at big tables here. It was open seating. People sat with people. Uh, you, you, you didn't get a table to yourself. Uh, we've got four of us there, so we filled a four-top up, and they had a, a seafood pasta dish that was just spectacular. And so this thing lands in front of me. It must have weighed seven pounds, eight pounds. Randy had piled this thing up like this. <laughs> and they're all looking out of the kitchen, out of the window of the kitchen to see what how the reaction would be. 
and we're just cracking up. <laughs> I'm and loving the stories. Thank you so much. It was fun. Uh, but I am also, I want to hear more about how to recreate and have the same level of success that you two have built for yourself doing your level of work. And how big of a deal was it to have somebody like Paul Perdone be your first customer? He spent the whole day calling all every chef in town that he had a number for and recommended us. So a little lesson in the power of networking. Boy, was right? it. Yeah. Boy, was it. And Not- Paul, I mean, Paul, when Paul Perdome called, you did take the call. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, end of statement. So what was, how did you first, I mean, was it because of, uh, you were from New Orleans? How yeah. did you make this connection? With Paul? Yes. Uh, I had missed, because being in San Francisco, his rise in Commanders was between 75 and in 79, he opened uh, K-Pauls and was going forward. So he'd been in business for about two years when I got there and had, I mean, gone from, yeah, I was Commanders and yeah, I'm pretty good to pretty getting pretty heavy press. And, mm-hmm. you know, his, his stature had really grown in the industry. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, I was told I could see him, and I, I, I asked for an appointment. He said, sure, come see me. You making fresh set? Yeah, I'd like to see what that looks like. And like I said, he was always going to see things, and he was willing to try new things. Mm-hmm. I think right. this is a big lesson, too. And again, we're just learning through our mentors, right? Um, you would think a restaurant like K-Paul's, which was just so known for it being like the the – the essence, or like at least his rendition of the essence of of Cajun, or uh, would have been Cajun. I'm sorry, uh, Creole, correct? No, he's Cajun. Oh, he's Cajun. Thank he's you. definitely Cajun. Thank Creole's you. New Orleans. Cajun is the country. Thank you very much. Um, like the, being the essence of that, right? Uh, I think some people worry, like if if they if they outsource production, that it it's almost like a cheating or like cutting open bags, right? There's something wrong with that. What are your thoughts as I'm? As I'm saying, is, is there a stigma? Am oh, I, yeah. am I, I don't want to be, I'm trying not, no. I hope that's not an no. offense yeah, yeah. to say, but I, I'm trying to prove the the benefit in this. And someone like Paul Perdone is, is sees the benefit in it. Like there's got to be something here. Like what is oh. the benefit in it? Well, I mean, it, 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 there comes a point where your growth forces you to do things because you can no longer execute it at that, at that, the quality level you want to get the volume you need. And it, you just you perfectly spelled out his standards. Oh, like and if he's willing to take this route, oh yeah, there's definitely a a stigma I think within the industry when it comes to like not taking food like that as seriously. But at the same time, fill in the blank. The majority of successful, large independent, and say people who own two or three small chains. Uh, thrive on the fact that they can get some manufacturing help i think a part of the issue in this is just one thing i've noticed yeah. and uh correct me if, if you think it might be something else something else but i think there's some ego involved in the industry and, and maybe a little too much pride well there's ego and then there's reality okay the ego is 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 always there because they're the guy looking at you saying don't you ever tell anybody you do work for me Right. And that's fine. I mean, we, we, do we you do experience this. Is this, you're shaking oh, yeah. your head oh, yeah. oh, all the time. Yeah, definitely. And so that's fine. And but, I understand it. You know, it's, it think about running the operation you've been in them I mean, and you've got a lot of bodies back there and turnover is always an issue. Uh, you're trying to, to maintain a, a level, a standard of quality, especially around, say your name dishes. Okay. And let's say it's got five or six different components 
with a sauce or something or a, a, a soup, a liquid, uh, you, you realize that, all right, I can have this guy do the time-consuming part that doesn't take a executive chef, that doesn't take making 30, a, 40 a, bucks an hour. a really great yeah. line cook right. to do, but will help him. And so the, the real smart people who know how to use this, uh, there's a concept called semolinas here that, that was run by three guys called the Taste Buds, and they have Zias now. Uh, Gary Darling knew how to take a product, and he would bring it in, and they would add two or three things to it. It would burst it with flavor, and you would get exactly the results you want, and you could replicate it. And the food was spectacularly good. You have tight controls over what the manufacturing side can do and what the product, the output product has to be. I mean, the the specs we deal with are so bloody narrow. Uh, How thick is it? What color is it? What ingredients are you allowed to use? What are you not allowed to use? Uh, How is it handled? How all the things that go into making food taste the way food makes. Food tastes, rather. So we do that. Only difference is, is our tools are bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, a restaurant might have a 150-gallon kettle if it's doing a really a hell of a lot of soups and sauces. I mean, ours are substantially larger. Yeah. Uh, we run Alfredo sauce at 5,000 pounds a batch. And it just, it's bigger stuff. Yeah. One, one of the questions I ask all my guests is, what's one thing that you outsource for? So basically, that's a tool or service or it's not a tool part sorry but a service uh to do something that you can never do as well in-house and the reason why i ask that question is to help connect good people with good people also i want people to understand that if you can find somebody especially if they're local right and support local economy Uh who does something way better than you could ever do it. Let's use bread as an example. We all, Almost all of us outsource bread, right? If, right. We're, if we're a sandwich shop, we're right. not going to make our own bread if we don't have to. If there's a bakery down the street that's famous, right? Why not source the bread from the bakery? Why not use that mentality with other things? If you can't do it as good as this company that does it, that that's what they do, then why not save yourself the labor costs? If you, you know, what's wrong with supporting your neighbors and supporting other businesses? What's wrong with that? Well, plus, it, it, it creates more opportunity, too, and diversity right. in, in the industry. And it helps you run your operation. Think about, all right, they say, well, I can make this cheaper. And I go, you really can? You think you can? Okay, let's talk about that. Right. Uh, right. Let me see your formula, your recipe. First of all, I in, in all the years I've been doing this, when an owner hands, hands me the company recipe, the, the, the establishment's recipe for a sauce, okay? And I ask, I say, fine, that's great. I'll take the recipe now. I want to come in when, who, who makes your sauce? I said, well, that, that's uh, Chef William over there. I said, fine. I, I need to come in the day he makes this sauce and watch him do it, okay? So I go in and watch him do it, and I take the recipe, and I watch William do it. And I have yet to have him make it exactly the way that recipe is. It's now chef to chef, especially if he's the third different guy that's made it since this was written, which is not unusual. Okay, It's migrated with each one of them. He makes it better. Uh, he's a sloppy measurer. Okay, Or he doesn't have an ingredient that, it, that he normally needs right. to use. Ingredients change. Okay, 
ingredients change. Nature changes stuff. Tomato crops are different every year. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, some corn is sweeter than other corn. Uh, you're working with all these variables, okay? But virtually none of the recipes I've seen match what the hell they think is in that pot. And the technique is t- completely different. It's been changed. Uh, and the changes take place over time. And when you change something over time gradually, it's very hard to discern for you to discern the change because you're now pretty zeroed in on what's now. But that's not what you handed me. That wasn't the original recipe. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, what's your yield? And then you get a, hmm. well, I, I I guess it's it's what I put in the pot. And I said, no. <laughs> you have evaporation. Mm-hmm. You have mismeasurement. You have all these things that, that go in. You, know, you don't know what your yield is. All right, When we make something for you, you know, to here's 20 pounds yeah. of it. Yeah. And we're accurate. That bag is accurate to 0. 0.05, 0.05 ounces. What is that in grams? Do you know? Uh, it's 29.3 grams, 29.35 grams. It's pretty close in a big batch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's... All right. When you're buying, yeah, when you're doing this, you're buying 20 pounds, you got 20 pounds yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know exactly what you paid for it. Cisco, here's the bill right here. Yeah. So you know what, it, what what's cost going in. You really don't know. Yeah. It's, when you're it's doing precise, it yourself. You know. And, and yeah. How much labor do you have in it? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's, well, that, that's the most tricky. Right. That is the trickiest yeah. thing. He, and that's the most expensive part. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They would be here anyway. I'm saying not necessarily. They could be doing other things for you that improve you know, right. the way your food looks on the plate, that improves the, the, the way that you handle the protein. Instead of sitting here working like hell on this, this one product, we can do this for you. Yeah. He can concentrate on making sure that the protein that's going there is accurate and it's cut accurately. Uh, the, the meats are cut across the grain, not with the grain. All the stuff that happens to you when people are jammed up and are, are going too fast to pay attention and do the yeah. right job. So well, I'm gonna, I feel like the, I, I was going to save this question to the end. I usually yeah, ask yeah. this question at the very end of all my interviews. Uh, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. We inspire by sharing our stories and our mm-hmm. knowledge. We empower by sharing our knowledge. And the whole transformative part is like, what, how can we change this industry to work better for more people, right? And I, I feel like, and one of the things that's coming to my mind, um, and maybe you can answer that question if you have another thought, but one of the things that comes to mind is by creating other verticals and encouraging more people to outsource uh, and to support other businesses. And mm-hmm. I think if we can encourage us, encourage us more on a local level, mm-hmm. Then we can lower labor costs. We can create we can create more businesses that don't need brick and mortar uh, f- storefront, you know. And we can we can just kind of level the playing f- field and kind of f- like flatten the I, I don't know the economic like what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out. I'm drawing a blank right now. Oh. Those those blue oak boys had us out late last night. I'm not going to lie. show is a good Darn time. those boys. I'm, they I'm, had all their I'm, fault. Eh? I'm struggling coming up with the words right now. I'm not going to lie. Held your head open and it, it poured. Yeah. It shares the wealth. You know? the wealth. It spreads it the share, wealth share out. The you know? wealth. Yeah. And there's a lot broken. I think this is part of the solution is encouraging people to stay in their freaking lane. Right? Yeah. And then and to outsource and support uh, your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Right? But well, it, it, it would, should allow you to do the big thing which is necessary is to increase the benefits to the the people who work for you, give them a better working environment, take some of the heat off of them, 
especially financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yourself. I mean, and because, yourself. I mean, yeah. these days, good, good laborers, good workers are very hard to find. Yeah. And I mean, keep. And I think you guys are proof that there are people who uh, manufacture and produce food to be used in this manner and to do it really well. You that's, know? that's the key. And I think there's a the stigma quality out there. issue. Yeah, there's yeah, a stigma the out there. Element. And there are some companies that yeah. probably don't have your standards. I recognize uh, that. Right. Quite a yeah. few. Yeah. But, it, but you can do this and I think maintain standard. And as long as your ego doesn't get in the way, I, I think that's the biggest culprit right there. And again, I don't want to put words and thoughts into your mouth, <laughs> into your brains. Yeah. But where are you at? Well, uh, it, it, it's it's you notice how many people have left the industry in the last two years and are, don't want to come back because mm-hmm. they're burned. And I don't blame them. I mean, it's 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 a rough industry. Hey, it, it, you ever wait tables? I mean, oh, I'll go be a waiter. Come on. <laughs> go pick yeah. that tray up, yeah. okay? You're going to do that deadlift up for every table you do all night long, all right? And that, that tray gets anywhere from 10 pounds to 40 pounds of food on it. You can go do that for a while. Go listen to some people who are less than courteous with you uh, for no reason other than they feel like they're empowered to be that way and you're not. Yeah. Uh, it just there's a lot of things about that. Yeah. But I think by by you, know, you go to, look at Bryson. Okay, Bryson's got a lot of family and friends who have worked for him. Uh, they are. Wonderful and still employee. working for him, and they they are, yeah, and they're, still. They're, they're Rhonda, Myrna. I mean, they're 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 they are uh, thirty what thirty uh, five years later. Yeah, he's he's That's not. Crazy. That's they, they, their turnover he's a, is nil. He's a special. Uh, he's a really. Special he almost had guy. me at tears a few times during yeah. our oh, yeah. conversations. Yeah, and he's oh, a really. Spe- yeah. Well, I mean, when he's we went employee. in there, we went in there with our daughter uh, Brooke, our our oldest daughter uh, was with us, and um, he came to the table, and we were with. Um, a business associate whom we really like a lot. And we were all sitting there at the table together. And he said, uh, how did you like tonight's meal? And we said, oh, it was great. And he says, they're all Brooks recipes. You know, and, and he, he he gave her that. And, of course, they weren't. But but it was kind of his, his charming way of including us all in to that wonderful kind of magical world that is he helps, a fabulous He's, he's really restaurant. good at letting you feel seen. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and that's yeah. powerful. Yeah. Well, he's he's he's, yeah. he's, he's Frank. Yeah. He, you know? Did you know that Bruce Springsteen goes to? That's where when he's in no. town, he goes and eats there with his whole band. No, Bruce and flies. Goes it, there. Bruce flies him up to New Jersey and out to California to feed him. I, I did not know that, but okay. Bruce kind of has a special place in my heart right now because I was in uh, Asbury Park not too long ago, and I learned that that's oh, where really? he's from. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah well, he. Uh, the guy that I left Macy's to work with, um, Ron, Ron Gompertz. Uh, hi, Ron. Uh, he, he was he was just a wonderful guy. And he grew up in New Jersey. And he was a huge fan of Springsteen's. Yeah. And he used to play his music for me and say, hey, do you know this guy? And I'd say, no, I never heard of him. And so he'd play his music super, super loud in his in his place and uh, um, introduced me to, to that. Music, wonderful music and which you know i'm very grateful for but but it's it's pretty great that that he chooses Wrightsons to go you know eat that at is, that is special 
I've been loving these stories. I really have been. And that's why I've been letting these deep stories of the, the culture, the history of the people that work here in your, like I think you guys bring this to the conversation. Uh, but I kind of, I want to shift the focus of the conversation to get advice because I think we've convinced the listeners that this is a very good career path. And mm-hmm. I think we need to encourage more people to think like this mm-hmm. to again, spread out the wealth. Um, we're going to come back to that question. Uh, what's, what do you think the industry needs to change? We'll save that. But that was just my, I felt like it felt, it felt right there, but we'll come back to that before we go to the speed round. Um, thinking about people who are listening to this young professionals, young chefs who are listening to this and thinking, I think that might be for me. I'm interested in this. What is your advice for, for that person who's listening to this, who might want to get into your line of work and how you, how you've built what you've built? What, what, what do you think the trick to your success has been? Well, the, the the great path then is like if you're a Johnson and Wales guy and, and have been through that and you get you've got the culinary skills behind you okay I mean you, you you've got that basis uh, there are university courses LSU's got one Michigan's got a great one of food yeah. science that you can take a shortened course and end up with a degree in culinology and with a degree in culinology with that training behind you, you can get you'll get in, albeit at a fairly entrance level, but into the 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 industry to what do is, research and development. What is the difference between culinology and culinary? Culinary is the restaurant side of it. It's the food, the 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 taste, the flavors, the this. The ology is the science science part of it. Of how well, how do I do that, and how do I make it? How do I make the food do what I need it to do? to service or to fit the situation the food has to be in. Got it. I mean, just like anything else, uh, if you're an artist, you uh, the creativity that you have and feel and develop is really important, but you also have to have the business side. I mean, you have to, yeah. and it's very difficult to incorporate that into the same into the same person. So it's good to have somebody who can look at the, the nuts and bolts and the numbers of, of, of business that's helping you that's working with you that understands how important the creativity is but also but also can help you guide you in the the way that you need to go to make money yeah so profitable so i guess that i was curious so what are so is that more your side that the numbers maybe okay and you're more the creative side yeah you don't want me reviewing statements every day. That, okay. I mean, <laughs> hold, a gun, hold a gun to my head, okay? <laughs> when you were telling the story uh, off air, I think it was actually about your father and how he'd go through, Frank yeah. would yeah. go through and, and look at the stocks or the businesses and right. you just never really had a knack for it. But you, So maybe you inherited some of that uh, yeah, but, number you know, but, strengths. But here, here's the thing about New Orleans. Um, the, the New Orleans, um, and Pierre embodies that to me, uh, is 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 uh, has a very Latin spirit, and you know I grew up in Latin. I I was born in Latin America, and that's a very big part of who I am because my mother of my mother, and uh, New Orleans has that wonderful, magical um, essence about it. My father is a huge jazz fan. I, that that. That was born here. How many other cities? I'm getting goosebumps. Time. How many other cities that you know have developed their own music, their own culture, their own food? Their, I mean, and and had so much of an impact in so many different ways on the world. And and it's also a fabulous 
um, fun-loving, open place to be because, and it's very Latin that way. And people love to have fun and they love to enjoy themselves. And, you know, in Latin America, you say, look, you can, you can work as, as hard and as long as you want, but you have to take some time out to have fun. Otherwise, what is the purpose of life? What's all, yeah. What's it all for? And so, and I think New Orleans really embodies that, that, that it has that, that kind of that magical love of life and passion for good food and 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 good times that um, makes being here and coming here a really wonderful experience for a lot of people. Of course, can, you know. Yeah, who can argue against it has that? Has the downsides yeah. too, but you know, it's just a really fantastic place in yeah. so many ways. So, does that tie into the business aspect of what we were talking about before, and the the business elements of how to make this work, this this business model? How does that affect that? Sure, because um, I mean, I grew up knowing that as a lot of people do that the the most important times for families are usually are often around a dinner table or a breakfast table or eating together and and enjoying each other's company enjoying fabulous food that that you know food brings back so many credible memories from childhood for a lot of people yeah and that's why recipes are so family recipes are important and and um and so the 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 whole the power of food again going back to what paul prudhomme said about the power of food to impact you and 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 impact your life is huge yeah so one thing i'm curious about um is the branding and uh when you have so like a lot of the, the products you guys produce leads with Monica and then the name of whatever the, the product is. Right. Um, what's the strategy behind the branding and get into that element of it? And I mean, would that all start with Monica Crawfish? Crawfish Monica. Sorry, yeah. I got it backwards. That's Crawfish okay. Monica. Thank you. Um, kind of. Yes, it did. Um, well, Pierre developed it, named it after, and then I came into the kitchen and I said, what, what did you, he, we were, this uh, was early on and early the, on. Yeah. And, and we were, uh, was uh, going to visit some friends who were house sitting for someone in a very nice part of New Orleans. And um, I went into the kitchen and I said, wow, this is really good. What is it? And he said, I'm going to call it Crawfish Monica. <laughs> you know, just like on our first date, he said, I'm going to marry you one day. And I thought, wow. <laughs> so we'll anyway, see about that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so uh, Crawfish Monica was born. And then the f- we found out when we did food shows that the sauce was so incredibly popular and people loved it and we we knew we had a hit on our hands and then eventually they allowed us to do it at Jazz Fest not the first year because somebody else had a uh, monopoly on on pasta. So you started with pasta as a reminder to the listeners. Right. And you were trying to find a way to move the pasta. Is that kind of how the story? Yeah, goes? we added sauces to help sell pasta. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was and, that was a kind of a brainchild of, of both of ours. Maybe, um, yeah. So maybe there's a business lesson there. Mm-hmm. That yeah. If if you're making a product, you can't just make the baseline product. You need to maybe create something else to go with it. Well, what's what's going on? What's the business strategy here? What what's the business strategy is what most people say. you not only think oh well I'm going to get it's going to be great I just got this product into X chain X store so that's great now how are you going to get it out of there. Yeah. And they go like this. And I said, yeah, getting it in is easy. Getting it out in somebody's cart with him paying for it is hard. Well, we had That's to educate. That's the hard part of the whole deal. So how did, we had to educate people on how to, for, for how to use fresh pasta. Oh, because, so, yeah, tie, tie it together. So, basically, 
you sell pasta and that's not enough because people don't have a reason to use it. And by selling the additional ingredients that go with it and, and maybe streamlining the process for the consumer, now they have this new sauce that, and they need a reason to buy the pasta. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? That was, the, the, yeah, yeah, the two went hand in hand. Okay. I mean, we started out, we had uh, pesto, uh, which we still make, same formula. Uh, we had a marinara, which was quite good, we still make. And we had uh, Alfredo sauce. Then we added Monica sauce after that. That was the fourth one. Uh, and they were <laughs> filled it, hot filled into a cup, and we had a one-up sealer. So it's like the, the motions it took to make this was about 20 seconds. Okay. All right. Fillers now do maybe 200 cartons a minute. <laughs> and we were doing one at a time and then chilling it off. Our pesto sauce was made by, was developed for us, oh, which is kind of unusual, Luca. by uh, Luca Tassani. And Luca Tassani uh, was a an Italian chef from Florence. And he made it for us. You know, we asked him, and, and we had to, how much, how much basil? We had to go through so much basil and... You know, different kinds of basil and, and you know, different kinds of oils and blah, 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 in order to make our final product, which which we love, which we think is really great. But, you know, it, it's like every iteration of, of development is a long process sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So are most of your products like this where you you create products that complement each other for the sake of moving them off shelves? Is that the part? Sometimes, yeah. So sometimes, yes and no. I mean, yeah. the majority of our stuff is is. I mean, our business is really two main areas, okay? We haven't even told the listeners how the, the impact that Crawfish Monica has had. Yeah, impact's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. But we sell what's called the street, which is via the national food distributors, the big guys, a branded product you know, that, that we push at shows and things like that to get the restaurant community to use. And then there's the other side of it, of the custom work we do, for restaurant groups primarily and large independents where we take a very high volume uh, soup or sauce and we make it for them or we make the base for them so that they can add a few things to it and finish it. It just depends on who and what. But that that's probably eh, about 50-50. So a lot of what we do is invisible. It doesn't have our brand on it. A lot of the other stuff does. Okay. And so we have a, a continuity of brand uh, by Monica's. So when you pull us up at, say, a Cisco, all right, they'll see all these different products we make uh, you know, listed out. And they can see what's going on and, and say, oh, what? oh, I, they make this. Let me try this. Let me try that. And you get more sales. Oh, they have a, a corn and crab bisque. Oh, I want that. So uh, sweet potato. Bisque. On the website, you have like all like the, the your products listed, right? That's yeah. mostly for what, like uh, wholesale or yeah. to order online. But mm-hmm. then the whole other side of your business is you're working one on one with brands, uh, which you're basically de- helping them develop unique recipes for them because they want to stand out. They don't mm-hmm. want to be like anybody mm-hmm. else, which is understandable. Um, What's your? I think this is kind of where we can do this on a, like a smaller level, like locally. If you're a chef who doesn't necessarily want to work in a restaurant, but you're a damn good friggin' chef, you're talented and mm-hmm. super creative. Mm-hmm. How do you market yourself as a chef, and how do you start a business where you're just contracting yourself out on your and in, in paying having people pay you for your intellectual property? Like, what's the value in that? Help us understand the value in that, and what we should be charging, and what we can get. Consulting is a bear. 
all right? Because I may be working for you right now consulting on uh, some products, Mm -hmm. but I have to be looking for and actively marketing for the next job to come behind you because it's a, it's a, a not a full time job. It's a span job, so you got to keep all those blank spaces filled with business. So you, you go hungry. So it's a consulting is a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, it's it's not the easy way out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it it to get started though, you need to find that first client that'll believe that you can actually do the work for them. And that's really the hard part. Cause it, and when it, that first client is Paul Burdone. Yeah, well, <laughs> or helps. somebody like that. It helps a lot. It, yeah. it, it, it yeah. helps. But, but it doesn't happen overnight. And you didn't, no. this didn't happen for you overnight. You, no. you did years of working as a chef. Like, and you had right. a reputation right. before leaving. Too. Right. There was a guy here named Warren LaRuth. Yeah. Okay? Warren familiar with was Warren? brilliant. Okay? And he, he, he had been in the military. He, had, he was classically trained. Uh, he, he got out and... Went to uh, Michigan, I think. I can't remember what school he went to. But he came down here, and he was his first job as a research chef was for Green for uh, Seven Seas. Seven Seas, yeah. He invented Green Goddess salad dressing for them, and he, meant, he designed all of their line of salad dressings. They still use his formulas. He is no longer with us. Uh, he opened a restaurant called La Russe across the river, which was Gorgeous fine food. I mean, totally fine dining. It's the only restaurant at that time that you went in the kitchen, there weren't measuring cups. There were scales. Because volume lies. Weights don't. Mm -hmm. And if he saw you take a pinch of something and throw it in his food, that pinch threw you out the door. (laughs) Okay? I mean, it was, was, you know, he was most rigorous about following uh, the way the recipe but, is most vigorous about following the way the recipe was laid out. But uh, in, in a way, he reminded me a lot of Paul Prudhomme yeah. because he was very exacting. He was very precise, but he was also, he also had a really big heart yeah. in that he helped. I mean, Paul has so many disciples, I suppose is one way to put it. People who, who were, um, students of his and whom he helped and put in to put in business and Warren was very similar in that yeah. if he l- knew you and liked you he huh. would do anything for you yeah. and he would never charge you for it mm-hmm. yeah. and you know and 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 he would do it for, I mean when we went when Paul liked our product he we didn't ask him to call anybody we never asked him to do anything for us he just did it out of the goodness of his heart. And that's really what, what Warren did as well. He, he and Pete, you know, got along super well. And so he wanted to help us. Yeah. yeah. So back to this idea, if, if, if you think you're cut off for this and you, how do we market ourselves? How do we know what to charge? And like, realistically, how many clients do we need to be able to do this as a full-time job? How hard is it to get started? Like, what do we need to know? I would not do it. I, to go on your own. Yeah. As a starting point, I wouldn't recommend that. Okay. I would recommend getting a job. There are virtually every food manufacturer has at least one person. Some have up to a staff of six or eight. So just like if you want to open a restaurant, don't right. go out. Like I mean, you can open a restaurant with zero experience. It's going to be hard. Hard? You're going to learn a lot of things the hard <laughs> and way. And you'll have about zero success of, of yeah, you know, gonna, zero chance of being successful. The 0.001% of people who <laughs> pull it off. Um, but my wife is a great cook. Don't worry. We can have a restaurant. So 
go to work for a manufacturer. Excuse go, me. Yeah, go to work. Is there something about wives? Uh, yeah. No, but we I mean, still have you know, to talk about is, advice on husband and wife. Well, we throw great yeah. parties. We throw great parties. So I, I'm going to open a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. No, please jump off a bridge. Yeah. Take. Let's take the money down. We'll go to a balcony on on Bourbon Street and throw one dollar bills down at the crowd. You'll, you'll lose five grand, but you'll only lose five yeah. grand. Yeah. <laughs> you won't lose a million. Two I, but, million. But there are also million. other people that are not food manufacturers that hire yeah. research chefs. Yeah, researchers I chefs mean, are all over. They yeah. are. And and oh. people who, who sell flavors, for instance, oh, flavor companies, people who, who are in the industry as suppliers to the industry also need people who yeah. are good at developing recipes, some of whom we know and some of whom have helped us in that they've recommended us to, to uh uh, you know other clients people that they're working with and they say hey do you want you know you want a good research chef talk to pete i mean he's and pete's like the pete's pete's well okay i i'm i i know i'm biased but i think pierre is really really super talented and not only uh does he under he understands the chemistry of food yeah um not just just how you know how it tastes but why it tastes the way it does and how how to um how to achieve that in other ways and and scaling up w- one thing that's interesting is that you, you f- making something in a in a small pot or or skillet and then scaling that up to you know thousands of pounds of production is a real skill that you kind of I don't know how Pete learned it but Pete did you teach yourself how to do it more or less Maybe yeah you make mistakes it's kind of a big deal. What is the biggest challenge that comes with that that people don't consider that you've learned the hard way over the years you've been, you've been doing this? Well, the, the food doesn't behave in a steam-jacketed kettle with agitation the same way it does in a pot Okay, with fire under it. Yeah. Okay? Very lot, Lots of different stuff goes on. So I would imagine in such a, such a big volume, like the bottom heats up far, far, far harder. Like maybe it gets well, too hot in the bottom and it, because cre- it doesn't... Cream sauces, I mean... Think of a cream sauce. Think of a cheese sauce, okay? Yeah. And you need to get it at least to 165 degrees, 170 degrees. Milk scorches at about 160. So the bottom's burning, the top's still cold. You've got to, agi- yeah. you've got to make sure that you are agitating it sufficiently right. so it doesn't. Okay, so is that like pumps, circulation? It's, like it's actually uh, mechanical arms that okay. have scrapers on them that rotate inside of the kettle. Okay. And it... it the the new kettles are so unbelievably intricate, and all this stuff is now computer controlled, and uh, it, it's it's astounding. It's uh, the kettles kettles are on on load cells, okay. So you can make sure that ingredient actually got in because it comes in in checklists, and you watch the weights change, and you know, wait a minute, I'm at at uh, four thousand forty pounds. I ought to be at four thousand ninety pounds. I'm missing I'm missing something. What, what am I missing? Right. You know, all and I think stuff. that what Pete Pete did was um, he, I mean, you have to understand not only, he, he's always looking for new ways to do things and, and he learns new things quickly. Um, but you also have to keep in mind that when you're doing something differently than it's been done in the past, what are the ramifications? What are the cost ramifications, the, the accounting ramifications behind that? Maybe you make it uh, a faster, but you know it's something else is lost in the process. I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to take into account when you're making food. I mean, it's it's 
you know, the kind of the nuts and bolts, like I said before, the nuts and bolts of what you do. It's trying to take, be, you know, as objective as you possibly can and take some of the wonder and magic. Yeah. I, I out feel, or, or <laughs> leave know. it there, but take a look at the other side too. I hear you. I, I feel like we can't wrap up today's conversation. One, we still got to talk about partnership advice. I can't leave that out. Oh, Especially gee. for our, our, our friends here that are, <laughs> a lot of people say don't go into business with family or a partner. What's your advice? Do you agree or disagree? Can it work? No, Clearly, I, I, it has no, worked. I, they, they, there's two sides to that. So question. tell me, Pete. How some does that work? Some, <laughs> some families are cohesive and functional. Some aren't. It's yeah. just the way the way life is. Okay, and if you're in a if if you're in a cohesive, functional family, yeah, psychologically you can handle it because mm-hmm. it's it's different. I mean, it's the whole feel is very different. I mean, I, I, the idea of one of our daughters taking over our business, I, I would never force you to do it. Frank, all right, Frank had this very successful operation that he sold when uh, the master company went public. He sold it into that. It was smart my move. My father. Okay. Her dad. And yeah, his whole point was, don't chase my dream, chase yours. Mm. He was very generous with funding us and getting us started. I mean, without Frank, we wouldn't have been a business. Okay. Okay, and without his continued sure. help, because there are bumps that come down the road that will whack you in the head. I mean, we had, for example, we we're making pasta, and there was a distributor in Houston that ordered it, and it was the first full truckload of product we had ever made. It was forty thousand pounds of pasta on wow. there, which was for us like this gigantic sale. Okay, and I go to Houston to their grand open. They go, oh. uh, uh We've changed our mind. You have your return policy at this point was we you could, you know, for an end customer was you could return it. We're returning the whole. I don't order. remember that part of it. You don't remember it? I do <laughs> I vividly. It almost killed the us. audacity of people. Sometimes. It almost killed us. Okay, <laughs> I mean stuff like that. I mean, there's lots of, Maybe of I stuff happening. Blocked it out so on purpose. Frank, Frank yeah, I was. I don't blame you for burying that memory. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. that was early on, and Frank was was. Very supportive. Yeah. He liked us, the fact that we were entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, that was big. So, Did you change your return policy after that? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, good. Yes. <laughs> it, it, that no policy, doubt. That's another thing. Never sell a, fro- a, with a, a sales guarantee on a fresh product. Yeah. Never. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. shame good on advice. you. You'll, yeah. get, you'll get your brains beat out. See, these are things you don't, that aren't necessarily like, uh, what's the word? Just obvious for a first time right. person. Right. So. Um, so back to the advice on, on marriage and, and right. working together. The, the, the whole idea is if, if you come from a, a background where that's – and get along with your family, that you can do that. You can accept criticism. You can accept you know the ups and downs. <laughs> Somebody's going to be picked to run it, that you can agree with that if it's not you. Yeah. That kind of thing. There's a whole lot of dynamics that go on. I mean I, I, I've interviewed plenty of husband-wife – couples you know or business partners it can work and whenever people say that never go into issue with or business with family it never works i i feel like it's maybe there isn't an issue with going into business with family maybe the issues with your family yeah and that's the way (laughs) we have some truth to that yeah believe me we have our moments when you do have the moments when you do have the moments how do you work through it together oh you 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 back off and let a little space happen and and then come back and and do it talk you know tone down the rhetoric i think i think um i think mutual respect is really really important Mm -hmm. um 
And uh, like Pete said, if you uh, are doing things together and then you one person criticizes the end product or something like that, that's something that you have to learn to 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 deal with, to get past. Um, because um, sometimes that's necessary, yeah. and often it's necessary. So so if you can take your ego out of the 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 equation for a short while that's really helpful but of course it's easier said than done and it's a very difficult thing (laughs) yeah and i asked somebody um about that once because they were working with their spouse and she said monica the thing is that the victories the lows are very low and the victories are very high and if you have enough victories you can overcome the lows because uh, the euphoria that comes and the excitement and the kind of gratification that comes to you at, at the high moments are things that you can share because you feel like you've both been responsible for it or at least or maybe one was responsible for for it and and you have to learn to say hey that was fantastic what you did and I'll, you know I'll get I'll get my gratification you know the next time but but if you can both have good moments together that's a really wonderful thing and and we've worked with our family we've worked with our kids occasionally and um so i think this is actually a really good time to acknowledge two people that because this is the last interview on the road there's been two people that have been traveling with me they are a husband wife combo savannah and sam are over here savandsam.com they've been awesome helping me so i need to know if you have a question one of you have a question because this this isn't you're a married couple this question I'm asking is for you. They're being shy right now. I have a bunch of questions for them myself. <laughs> yeah. Do you want a mic? I feel Get over here. Don't be shy. Yeah. So it's Sam and I. So Sam was the restaurateur. Like he's very. I don't know. I feel like you're very celebrated in our community. People really respect you. Oh, sorry. People really respect Sam. Um, and we got out during COVID and then started photography videography for food and restaurants um but like one of my issues like we got an email the other day that it only had sam's name on it it's just like even sam was like well that's rude that's my question that is that is a very very good point um and thank you savannah i I just remember i have to tell a story that in the early days um i was using helsum more and uh um, an elderly gentleman called <clears throat> and asked for Pierre. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, Pierre's not here right now. And he says, well, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Monica Hilsom. And he said, well, is Pierre your old daddy or something? <laughs> and I just thought, no, he's not my daddy or something. And he is my husband, but, you know, I'm my own person. So I started using my maiden name just because it made it gave it gave us a little separation. And I think that that's really, really important because you have to feel like not only are you part of something, but you're your own person and you need to be recognized as such. And uh, and it really does help also if you have different areas of emphasis. My area of emphasis is more retail. And I just, you know, um and Pierre's is, is more restaurant-oriented. Um, um, but I feel that it is really, really important as a woman in business that you be recognized uh, in your, uh, you know, in and of 
your by yourself for yourself for who you are and i and i remember talking to somebody that we were doing business with and i said you know by the way i just need you to know that um often pete and i will agree on things but sometimes we don't agree and sometimes what he what his vision is is not the same as mine and and that just is kind of goes with the territory and uh um so yeah so it's 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 a it's an interesting dynamic, and it's and not easy always. I will say, as somebody who is working with you guys, um, Sam reached out to me, and I remember being kind of being like, "Oh, like, am I talking to Sam? Am I talking to both of them?" And they both cc'd on this email. I remember being worried about that, and I was also I remember being worried about saying your name correctly because <laughs> they she, she uh, abbreviate you abbreviate in your uh, Savannah uh, Sav or Sam. So, see, I'm still afraid of Sav, I know, but I was calling you Sav before or something like that. I was struggling. But I will say this as a male, and maybe this isn't right, I also worry that if I don't talk to Sam, that maybe there might be some, like, some issue with maybe somebody taking the wrong idea. You know? Is that weird? Am I, is, it, is that common? Do you feel the same way? No. I mean, it, 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 I, I, I must confess that I sin and don't, copy her on 100%. We get so many, we, we shoot emails back and forth like crazy. And, you know, I get, what, 200 emails a day, 250 emails a day easily. Yeah. And most of them are junk. But it just, so I send them to her, she sends them to me. And, all right, if she wants to tell me about, to keep me up to speed or copy me in some train about something that's going on in a distributor in yeah. marketing that I'm not going to have any effect on. It's just not yeah. not my deal. You know, I don't read the email, all right? And and sometimes, you know, we send them back and forth, and I might not read one from her. She might not read one from me. And so you get that, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I did. I told I just you. Heard, I just it's, heard a deep breath in the microphone. Yeah. No, it's usually, <laughs> so it it's usually that it I happens. read a yes. lot. Uh, well, we had, we had a discussion actually this morning about whether he had sent me your information. And he said, look, see, I sent it to you. I sent it right here. I said, you sent it to me January 18th. Yeah. And well, that was I the didn't first email. Read it. Yeah. You didn't tell me I should read it. Well, I, I, so. think, I think another variable here, and I think um, when I think guys have a tendency to refer other guys to each other, because it was Phil Mosley that said you should get Pete on the phone. Or I should point out for the listeners Pete if this and is not getting Monica. if this is but getting confused. I know exactly, <laughs> uh, but I don't think he meant anything ill by that. I yeah. think it's just kind of like we tend to gravitate towards people like us, right? And we communicate there's comfort in talking to people that you can relate to. I think that we forget that sometimes it can, maybe this is a stretch, but I, but I think I could be better about this because I'll, I'll admit that I thought that I was just talking to Pete today. I didn't realize I was talking to the both. It was pretty mm-hmm. obvious. I wasn't prepared. Um, no, no. Yes. Yeah, so I didn't uh, see that. <laughs> so I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, we can all be more mindful of it. You know, we should be better about asking the questions or like, how like what's this relationship going to look like? Yeah, um, and that happens to me in the past sometimes where I just make silly assumptions. Um, but I don't know if it's because of the way we refer each other. If it's maybe like primal, I don't know what's going on there. It's interesting. Um, I you know I uh, I'm I'm one of three girls, and um, my father. I worked with my father, and my father um, was very complimentary to me of my capabilities. In fact, he was really upset that I didn't go to Harvard like he did. Um, but, and so, and I guess, and my mother always told me, you know, have your own life, 
have your own career. And of course, now we're working together. But uh, I really feel that I put my own mark on the business and not just because Monica's is on it, but that, that was not my idea, by the way, that was, yeah, that was somebody a sales manager's idea that we used to have. And I, I thought, wow, you know, that makes me look like my ego is huge. And, um, and crawfish Monica, you know, I, every single time anybody compliments us on crawfish Monica, I always give Pete uh, credit because he developed it, you know, yeah. and his name's not on it per se, but yeah. it's on it because he developed it. So, I, I feel like uh, he deserves a lot of the credit for it. On the other hand, I trademarked the name myself. I did the national trademark mm-hmm. all by myself, uh, which is a lot harder to do now because these days they put a lot of legalese in there and make it make it harder for you to do it. But I did I did the trademark myself, and you know, and I gave Pete advice. What I gave him a lot of advice in the in the in the early days, especially about how I thought we should be doing things. Um, and he took some of it. He took a lot of it, I guess. So not all of it, but, but he did. Yeah. And we're still always in, in discussions over things, you know? Yeah. yeah. But our lives, but our lives in business have been, have been, have, we've had our ups and downs, but it's been pretty fun. Yeah. That was a great question. Obviously, it sparked a lot of dialogue. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I think we can all Thank be better <laughs> about being mindful of that, for sure. Thank you, Savannah. Are you good? Yeah. Sam? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, it is 30 minutes past the hour, and you did mention you had to get going. I want to make sure. You, are, are you good? You're welcome. I want you to stay as long as you can. But I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty. I pretty much have to go right now. Okay. So well, well, thank you for joining us. This has um, been wonderful. You, thank you, you were so much. a treat to speak with, and we're thank almost you. wrapped up. And I should point out that Pete and Pierre are the same person. Yes. We keep on going back and I'm forth. I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh uh, people used to always, uh, when they call and they ask for Perry, we we know yeah, that they don't yeah. know who he is. <laughs> or Phil. Yeah, yeah Phil. My, Phil. My email is P. Hilsom. Yeah. So they read it as Phil. Born name, Pierre. People yeah. call you Peter because right. they, they had struggles. Phil, Phil Zim. Is Phil Zim there? <laughs> yeah, he's there. That's funny. He ain't talking anyway, to nobody today. Thank, you, thank you so much thank for joining us. Thank you so much us. for the opportunity. You were you you a treat to speak with. Thank you thank so much. You. We were thank lucky you. to have you. Anything we have not discussed up to this point that you were hoping to discuss, I think the one thing, just to put into perspective the level of success, <clears throat> excuse me, the level of success you've had, how many tons of uh, crawfish Monica do you make a year. We go through about a truckload. About a truckload. What about just one event per year you have in particular? Well, that that see now we're we're we we've gone from doing a lot of events. Yeah. When we had a plant, it was easy. You had place to store equipment, you had people, trucks, all that kind of stuff. Now, I mean, the equipment stored in in a much smaller space. We 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 it's not the same, okay? And so we've cut way way back on it. And we just, I mean, we used to do a bunch of, and you would get tired. It I, just beats you to death. I heard death. 10 tons for a one-week event, or is it no, one day? No, I wish. It, it, we, we, when, when we were really active, the things that we did that were really killers, we were the largest lily pad feeder for emergency feeding in the state of Louisiana. Wow. Which meant you would get a phone call. Uh, you, you, you're on a list for, from Homeland Security. You get a phone call, and they say, okay, we're mobilizing you. Uh, you're now on eight hours' notice. Okay, you're on eight hours' notice. Now, the next phone call costs them money. That doesn't cost them any money. Next phone call says, all right, I want you to go to 
Alexandria, Louisiana, set up. There's a church parking lot. You're going to set up there. The state police will meet you or will meet you, bring you in, get you set up. Uh, we are anticipating, and they give you a number, 5,000 meals, 8,000. So is this disaster relief type stuff? This is disaster relief. And, I mean, we had enough inventory and stuff always, and we would, would pull our reefer and then pull in other trucks and cart equipment down. It would take us about, eh, three hours to set up, and we'd get going, and we could feed anywhere from five to 10,000 meals twice a day. I once also heard that um, somebody asked you to do some work for them, and you named some outrageous price maybe like around fifty thousand dollars yeah not expecting to hear back do you know what i'm talking about yeah (laughs) i won't get into it but i mean when you can name your price like that it's just a testament of what what the story was that was actually warren larue's story okay okay i'm sitting with warren and warren warren was a great guy warren's telling me he's teaching me which he was good at doing but he would talk real he'd go all right, well, there's five things you can do to solve this problem. Boom, 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 boom. Wait, wait, slow down, slow down. He didn't. All right, phone rings, and it's it's uh, a Burger King. And they said, well, well, Chef, we need you to do, we have a, a project for you. Would you take care of it? And he goes, yeah, send me a check for $50,000, and as soon as the check clears the bank, I'll call you back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, well, that took some backbone. I mean, you know, yeah. and Warren was dead serious. He was not going to talk to this guy until he had $50,000 in his checking account. Yeah. And he would do that with, with all these people. And then I'd call him and say, sure, here, you got this, 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 try this, this, this. Yeah. And I, I know there's a few, I, I don't know the, the truth of this, just talking to people. And I don't know what the legalities are with people being what you're allowed to disclose as far as the recipes you're, you've created that are known nationally, that are famous recipes that. If I were to say the name, people would. Ha- I guarantee you've heard of these things. Yeah, I'm dancing around it because I don't know what I'm allowed to well, say. All right, it, it, what what allowed what I'm allowed to say about a lot of things. If I've if I've signed a non disclosure, exactly, I'm signed a non disclosure. Yeah, unless you give me permission to to admit that I've done something. I mean, not, we're not talking about Trump and his bullshit, but we're talking about you know just normal conversations with with stuff these are billion dollar brands that yeah well the, those those you'd be real careful because they all come with billion dollar lawyers yeah exactly which is why i'm dancing and, around and the subject we do all right we monica <laughs> has trademarked monica you notice on this yeah you see that the, the, the r the registration yeah. mark okay now to under law you have to enforce your mark which means that anytime you find somebody using your mark who has not been given permission to use your mark you have to make them cease and desist mm-hmm. now have you hit Have you hit Crawfish Monica? Just Google it. Uh, I no, I haven't. Do it. Do it right now. Okay. While you're sitting here. Okay. Okay. All right, and then we'll, we'll t- tell you how many hits it gets. Uh, we would go. We find out that there are restaurants who are who are offering this on their menu, and I know damn well they're not buying product because I check, and I'll go see them, and say, look, this is this is the information visit. Okay, we have it's registered. Here's a copy of our certificate. You know, you can't use the name. You can sell any food you want. I can't stop you from doing that. Knock off anything you want. You can sell it, but you can't. You can't profit off of my name, brand, off yeah. of my brand, yeah, on a registered brand. Okay. So the smart ones, we we went head to head with the Hilton. Okay, which is you know a, a, 
a little bit bigger than we are. Yeah. A little. Yeah. And the guy who was running the Hilton Riverside was Paul Buckley, and he was an ex-prize fighter. Mm-hmm. So he was that kind of guy. Okay? He was going to muscle you around because he thought he could muscle you around. He'd get away with it. So uh, we, we, we went back and forth, and he's going, oh, screw you. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to keep selling it. So I wrote him a letter. And I copied the legal department in Chicago at corporate. The next two days later, I figure they got the mail. Two days later, I get a phone call from their lawyers apologizing and saying this will never happen again. Don't worry about it. Uh, we're so sorry. Uh, of course, Mr. Buckley will never do that again. And I said, well, do, what about, you know, you've, you've written on my name for so long and made so much money. on. What are you going to do about it? Said well, that we'd have to go. We'd have to go to court for. Oh my goodness! But they they knuckled and they never did it again. And so you got to you got to you know you got to play that game. And it's a pain in the ass. I mean, you got to think about the time it takes to do that. Yeah, and you, I, I did a Google search it for the record. Yeah, uh, and there's lots of restaurants using the name Crawfish Monica. How how many how many recipes are out there for it? I mean, I mean, I see restaurants Five. name restaurants <laughs> using it in, on their menu. I don't know how many different at least. All over the country. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, All I right. can only there, there's over so two, much right now. There's over 200,000 recipes to try to duplicate wow. it. How many pages are there All right. in that search? And not a damn one of them. I, yeah, I can read a recipe and tell you what it's going to taste like, All right, yeah. to what I do. And I haven't found one yet that's anywhere near what the reality is. Yeah. I, I've loved this conversation. I can't yeah. believe we're at two hours. That's, I mean, yeah, time good. guys go, I'm you'll, sure you're ready you'll to edit it so down much. And get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Honestly, there's a, there's a lot of gold in this and I, and I hardly edit. And I think that's one of the issues with the world we live in. Everybody edits things down and you miss a lot. And it's just, uh, you edit to spin, baby. You yeah. spin, you uh, don't edit, you spin. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really, um, hugely, Wonderful to be able to sit down and talk about what we do. I mean, because, you know, a lot of it is... By the way, Monica's back. Oh, yeah, back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here I am. <laughs> I just had to... Anyway, <laughs> I realized... Anyway, uh, I, 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 well, I can't do what I need to do anyway, so uh, that's okay. I'm happy but, to have you back. Thank you. <laughs> but it's, um, it's, it's pretty... You know, the fact that we... Uh, that a Crawfish Monica has been so... Uh, universally recognized it seems like it's been somebody gave us uh, the book um, a thousand places to see before you die and uh, crawfish monica is it there it's in, a, in under it's a, it's a under jazz fest oh, under jazz, jazz fest, fest. Okay. Wow, try crawfish monica so an and, and you know um uh, people, people tell me I'm a celebrity, and I, I say no. It's, it's really not that. It's just that we happen, we happen to develop. And Pete uh, is, is really talented that way. We happen to develop something that people really love, love, and, um, and they love to uh, celebrate that in their lives and jazz fest if you haven't been to jazz fest it's the most incredible i have to come back experience. for it. When, what time of year is it last weekend of april first weekend of may it's coming up and this is the first time in what two years we've had two this years? we've missed two and it's like missing 
Christmas and Thanksgiving, <laughs> okay, for two years in a row. I bet. And it's horrible. And I mean, they interview us, you know, on TV yeah, yeah. sometimes. How do you feel? Well, when you how do you sad. feel when they cancel oh, Jazz yeah. Fest? Of course we are. Well, we're heartbroken. Feel great. So, we're sure. heartbroken. I, well, we have people come <laughs> from all over the world, you know. I imagine. And I want yeah. to respect your time. I, I realize we're almost, we're over two hours, and I still have to ask <laughs> one more question. We still have a speed round. So the question I want you guys to answer is, what do you think, how, how can we go into the future more intentional to, to spin this, this industry, the food and beverage, the, the food and beverage industry around what, what in your opinion needs to change education benefits, humane lifestyle. I mean, that's a lot to unpackage, but I pick one of those actually education. Give me an example of how we can change that. The, the, we're pretty good here. We have a whole number of programs, both on a high school level on an independent level and on a pro- professional level of teaching where you can go and get culinary training. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got Nickel State who, who has a, has the John Full School. We have uh, a number of places where you can go and, and they're not Johnson and Wales. Uh, they're not the other boys from New York. Uh, CIA. But, yeah. The CIA. Yeah. Yeah. Who shall name un, un, unnamed. Uh, <laughs> I love to see people who've been to, Johnson and Wales talk to people who've been to the CIA. Yeah, yeah. It's, an, it's, it's always difference. an interesting. It's it's never a conversation. It's more of a confrontation. <laughs> okay. So anyway, <laughs> it's fun to watch. But the point is, you can learn. There's enough educational opportunity to get you started in the industry, so you're a value walking in the door. You're not totally an unskilled thing. Unskilled, a totally unskilled person is a very expensive. Yeah asset yeah all right and you know, uh, those people feel like they deserve what the, right more because they're coming in with a degree and there's a little bit of argument to actually that invest the money but they're not really getting the return on their investment well okay that's the johnson wales and that's the cia okay yeah. there are programs that are nowhere near as expensive as that what's cia forty six thousand dollars now something utterly oh, I obscene know. i mean i spent two hundred thousand dollars so that sounds like a pretty good deal to me yeah okay so <laughs> You know, well, you were trying to find something a little more complicated yeah. in the kitchen. I'm sorry. You know? I, I hear you. Really? Yeah. Well, a jet plane, yeah, that's a fairly complicated thing to do. You and can the, kill a lot the, of people doing both. And the, class, <laughs> the classroom is really expensive. Okay? That's a good yeah. point. That's yeah. a very right. good point. But anyway, so the point is that, that you know, there are educational opportunities. There need to be more of them. Yeah. And they need to be available and okay. I, I want to compound. Did I finish? Did you finish your train of thought? I yeah. don't want to cut you short. Yeah. Um, I want to compound on that. And I think we could be much better at the individual professional level on teaching people not just how to do their job, but the understanding the game of business. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah. I totally agree yeah. with that. And I and and I um you haven't asked me, but I <laughs> uh I agree with that. That's really, really important. And and to understand why people make the, the decisions that they have to make when it comes to to a business side because because as i said before the creative side and business side are completely different and separate um but they have to work in tandem with one another or the whole thing doesn't work but what i would like to say and and this is kind of going off on something that savannah said um is that um so women have been making food for many 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 years uh a lot of women are not recognized um, in the in the industry in the culinary industry for what they do, 
um, sometimes to the same degree as many men are. And I, I, I hope that that will change and, and we need to make, we need to make that change. I agree. And I think, I think, over the past years, I, I've noticed a progress. You look at people a lot like, of progress, yes. even yeah. in this city. Yeah. Susan Spicer, Especially Susan, it's, uh, it's gotten better. Awesome. Oh my god, her, her name's escaping me. Past guest on the show, Nina Compton. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, oh, she, she's pretty fabulous. talented. Yeah, you might we, say we she's okay. Nina. Yeah, yeah we know fabulous. her a little bit. Do we have a far way to go? Yeah. yeah. Is it? Is there a shift happening? I, I believe so, and I'm happy to start seeing it. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and I think Nina's uh, situation, she's really, really lucky because Larry Miller, her husband, is so supportive of her and so uh, involved in what yeah. they do. And they work together, and they seem to work together really well. He really celebrates her and her strengths, and that's a really wonderful thing to see. But oftentimes... Um, women are not recognized in the way they should be. And also minorities, a lot of minorities I'm who've been in the, in the, in the cooking, in the cooking world in the culinary world have not been recognized to the degree that they should be. Yeah. These are all great things that need to change in our industry. Thank you guys so much. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face to face. That's just the way people choose to communicate. There's not much we can do about it. Or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people 
do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard. And talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus, with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service, product, or facility. Your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with talk to the manager. Head to talk to the manager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Passion. Passion. What is your biggest weakness? Ooh, get passion. tired. <laughs> it is so often that the passion is also, or the, the biggest strength is also the biggest weakness. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Passion. <laughs> Integrity. I love it. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Keeping everything focused. How are you dealing with it? Slowly. <laughs> COVID. COVID is big. Yeah. Yeah. A big issue. And um, trying to stay focused is, is, uh, is the hardest thing because there's so much going on. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Caring about the customer. Respect. I love it. Uh, what is a one uncommon standard of service? And this is more of a restaurant geared question, but it applies services everywhere in all walks of business. It was geared towards the restaurant industry, like the service, like how do you go above and beyond for the customer? But that is a, an answer that I think obviously applies to you as well. Uh, do all that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, learn as much as you can about your customer. I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person? God. I loved reading Setting the Table. Yes. What was your biggest lesson from that book? Customer is everything. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Recognize their employees. And and recognize how important they're, the people that come to eat at their restaurant are. Mm-hmm. Name one service you've hired or outsourced to. This is uh, the purpose of this question is help good people connect with good people. This is where I would hope people would recommend you. <laughs> uh, preparing produce yeah. and meat for cooking. Beautiful. Uh, and for me, it would be web, web design and creativity, web creativity. Yeah, that's such a fast-moving market. Yeah. Whatever is the best practice today it won't be the best practice tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, it's tough yeah. to keep up with. Better to outsource. Uh, the next question is a question around restaurant technology. Uh, what is one technology you've adopted that has had a huge impact on communication, profitability, anything along those lines in your business, but uh, in your restaurant? But we can say business. That might be crest. I would say, I would say, for me, a t- uh, going to a restaurant and trying to put myself in the in the eyes of the people who are working there is is having a um, being able to have a menu at your table that nobody has to bring you. You can access it digital QR. And, and, yes. Yeah. 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 There's to me, a that's a big that's a big plus for sure. Yeah. Uh, this is the last question. Get ready. It's a doozy. Here it comes. <laughs> uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. 
all the memories of you and your work, your restaurants, your business, your recipes would be lost with your departure with the except with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Passion, love, stick to itness. Monica. Um, yeah, don't don't forget the people that put you where you are. Don't forget who is responsible for where you are. Is that two or one? Oh, one. One. What's what's another one? Got two oh, more. um yeah. Um give back. Give back to the community. Two. Um and um appreciate appreciate um the wonder and fun and power in food. I love it. This has been such a great conversation. I can't thank you two enough for taking the time to join me. There was a lot of lessons embedded and just even getting like the extra history of the individuals in this beautiful city was a, a special treat. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a privilege to kind of also uh, Paul Burdone was such a, I feel like any, any way we can cement these people's legacy and you guys helped us do that today. Uh, it's amazing. And hopefully I can do the same for you. Cement your legacy in the city as well. Uh, you guys are great. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who do you guys respect and admire uh, a restaurant tour that you think if there were a guest on the show that they would just change some lives with some knowledge, call Frank, them out. Frank Brightson. Ooh, I just had him on the show and you're absolutely right. He's fabulous. <laughs> he he He's was a phenomenal. Guy. Susan Spicer. Okay, Susan, that's two, two recommendations in one <laughs> week. You better look out. We're coming after you. I'd love to make it happen. Uh, I just cannot say thank you enough. If we want to connect with you, if we enjoyed this episode, if we're interested in your services, what's the best way to connect? Uh, you can email us, uh, the common thing is is CajunKettle dot com or CrawfishMonica dot com. Both both websites go to the same area. My email is p h i l z i m at k h a u n k e t t l e dot com. What about your email? Mine is m Davidson d a v i d s o n at k h a u n k e t t l e dot com. Beautiful. Peter, Monica, thank you. Or Pierre. Do you prefer Pierre? I don't care. Yes, I I prefer Pierre. I I think it's badass. (laughs) I I prefer Pierre too. Uh, Pierre, Monica, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Now let's eat. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Cheers. What an honor. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. That is the last of our Norlands interviews. And I just want to say special thanks to all of our guests, you know, especially uh, Monica and Chef Pierre for today's episode, but also just all of our guests in general that were able to make time for us out in Orleans. I, I really love visiting this city. And I have to say uh, the level of hospitality that gets rolled out in just generosity and uh we get a lot of love whenever we go to new orleans and i just can't say thank you enough special thanks to uh the blue oak boys phil and ronnie for opening up their network to us and just being incredible hosts while we're in town they took us out they showed us around and they're just good people so i just cannot say thank you enough if you guys are ever in new orleans make sure you're, you're checking out our guests and uh be sure to 
pay a visit over to uh, Blue Oak Barbecue because those guys uh, they were a big part of this in- this, this trip. They, I'm not going to lie. They they were very supportive. I just cannot say thank you enough. Um, also, I want to say thank you to Savannah and Sam from SavandSam.com. Uh, these guys are talented. Uh, they were on the road. I mean, this is the first time I ever flew out a videographer in social media uh, support photography. Uh, if you guys own a restaurant and you are in need of uh, some talent coming in and capturing your story, uh, capturing your food, capturing your physical space, I highly recommend you reach out to Savannah and Sam. That is S-A-V-A-N-D-S-A-M, SavandSam.com. Uh, these guys are awesome. I just cannot say thank you enough to them. Uh, so, super easy to work with. Uh, really, uh, I'm, I'm excited for the projects we got coming at you. Actually, the next trip we're all taking together is in two weeks. We're headed to uh, Los Angeles and Salt Lake City. Uh, Jared will be on the road with us, too. So we're going to be four folks on the road going deep. And it's just so crazy to think that Restaurant Unstoppable is growing, that I have a team. And this is something that I've wanted for so long, and it's happening. And I just can't. I'm like beside myself that it's happening. If you guys just show up and you make it happen and you continue to show up day after day after day, and you have a vision and you and you strive for it like it, it will start to come to fruition and i feel like that's happening for me i could not be more excited uh the future looks bright all right guys that's it for today until next time peace out